if I guarantee, if I absolutely guarantee that I'm getting a case, presumably some sort of leather case, probably the Apple one. Oh, for the love of God, still get Apple Care. Okay, that's where I was driving. With this. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I, be- I believe in your ability to break it into the case. Yes. I never used to get Apple Care until I started going caseless. Then Apple Care no, was my case. You're getting you're getting old and clumsy. Getting <laughs> getting old, getting clumsy. Are you kidding? I've been there for years. All right, so we have a lot to talk about, and we should dive right in. Uh, as per John Syracuse's rules, we are not going to do any follow-up this week, so we're going to have a pile of it next week, I guarantee you. However, we need to talk about something far more important even than follow-up, and I think I have the approval of Mr. John Syracuse to say that. We need to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Hey, guess what? It's September. And September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And because of that, we are joining Relay FM. Since we are Relay FM, we're part of Relay FM. We, we're doing this with, Re- I don't know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, Relay FM and us are trying to raise money for St. Jude. And Relay set a goal of, if memory serves, $333,000.33, I think, because it was the third year that, that we slash they are doing this. And thanks to a couple of people in particular, we have surpassed that goal, and the new goal is not $400,000. John, how much is the new goal? You put me on the spot. It's $400,001. That's correct, <laughs> as it should be. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so I wanted to call out uh, a few different things and a few different people. Uh, first of all, James Neal was the brief, uh, astonishingly brief, leading donor uh, with $21,001. So thank you, James. And uh, James has already written in and, and has said, you know what? I'm doing this for the kids. I don't need stickers. You can take your stickers and show. No, he didn't say that. But uh, James, <laughs> James was very kind and said, "Don't worry about the stickers. Just, just happy to do something nice for St. Jude." And then, breaking news: do 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 do. Earlier today, uh, we were getting extremely close to hitting the goal of three hundred thirty-three thousand three hundred thirty-three three hundred thirty-three dollars. And then a, a group of people. Uh, it sounds like it's an app that I would enjoy. It's called, uh, uh, let me look this up, ah, One Password, a group of people by the, that, that work on an app called One Password. Uh, it sounds like it's good. I should check it out sometime. Uh, they donated $26,922.04, holy jamolies. So the team at One Password. It turns out that you absolutely can buy my love, and it costs you the small amount of $26,922.04. So, uh, so hey, thank you to Dave Tier and the rest of the 1Password folks. I, I, we, everyone really appreciates it. And if I'm not mistaken, it was their donation that put us over the original goal, such that the new goal is $400,001. Now, here's the thing. If you donate enough money to be on the leaderboard, I will allow you to break rules. And neither of the two of them know that this is happening. So uh, prepare yourselves, gentlemen. This is a iPhone event day, so we do not have follow-up. However, Gus the Dog, previous champion, wrote in about a week ago. And Gus the Dog also shooed the stickers and said, no, no, don't worry about it. Thanks, but no thanks. But Gus has requested something. And since Gus was briefly the leader, Gus gets to, gets to screw up the show for this event. And Gus says, please just let Marco know on the next show that as someone born and raised on Long Island, I can confirm John is correct. Fire Island is part of Long Island. 
So, Gus the dog, thank you for your feedback. I love these high donors. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. So, I, I've actually I've been doing more surveying on that point. Even though we're not doing follow up, just a very quick thing. I have found more people who said it is part of Long Island, but it's still significantly the minority. I, I would say it's at least three quarters of people I've asked so far say it is not the same or not part of it, uh, whereas one quarter about uh, seem to say that it is. Well, it's a good thing facts aren't determined by polling. <laughs> All right. We do have some other follow-up, including from other uh, brief leaders slash champions. Uh, but I will save that for another day. We should move right along and talk a little more about what you can do to help St. Jude and children in the Children's Research Hospital there. Uh, hey, you can donate money. You can donate your money. It does not have to be the absolutely ridiculous sum of $26,122.04. It can be just a few bucks. That's fine. That's awesome. So if you want to help out kids who have cancer, and who doesn't, then go to stjude.org slash ATP, S-T-J-U-D-E dot org slash ATP. Because, hey, guess what? Cancer sucks. Childhood cancer sucks like a lot. So let's try to fix it. Let's do what we can. St. Jude uh, Children's Research Hospital is not going to stop until it has cured or until we have cured uh, childhood cancer. They're doing everything they can to do that. Doctors from all 50 states and around the world refer their patients to St. Jude because they have the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive childhood cancers. St. Jude also provides thousands of free consultations for doctors treating children worldwide, including kids in your community, even non-Americans. So, hey, guess what? If you have a few bucks to scrape together, please, stjude.org, stjude.org slash ATP, please throw a few dollars their way. It is almost Marco's turn to do the hard sell. However, John has pointed out to me in the past a couple of things worth noting. Hey, your employer might match your donation. And if they do, please email Stephen Hackett at an address that I don't remember off the top of my head. I believe it's Stephen at Relay <laughs> FM. That's P-H-S-T-E-P-H-E-N at Relay FM, I think is correct. Uh, anyways, Email Stephen and say, hey, my employer matched with such and such amount, and that will contribute to our goal, which is excellent. And uh, not to poke the crypto bear, which is our favorite thing to do these days, but hey, <laughs> you can even donate crypto. I don't think it counts toward our goal, but you can donate cryptocurrency. So if you feel guilty about uh, you know, in, in destroying the planet, which you probably should, you can offset that, that guilt by saving children. It's a win-win. And uh, you'll ha- I'm not going to announce the URL because it's kind of long, but you'll have to look it up. But suffice to say, it can be done. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. Marco, would you mind, please, giving the hard sell on on this the day of iPhones. So first of all, to reiterate, the only thing that is sensible to do with cryptocurrency is donate to Saint Jude. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you should just give it all to them, and then you can be absolved of whatever you know emotional weight you have of destroying the earth with your cryptocurrency. Yes, I know about proof of stake or whatever. I don't care. So anyway, uh, <laughs> the uh, the real reason you should give to Saint Jude, even if you don't have cryptocurrency, uh, is that Apple event season is upon us. The Apple event was today. We'll get to that in a moment. But obviously, we are at risk, you all out there, at risk of spending large amounts of money with Apple uh, in in the next uh, few days or weeks. Um, And if you don't do it at this event, there's there's probably another event coming sometime soon where you might have something there you're going to blow a bunch of money on. Um, And so sometime soon, listeners, you're going to feel the need or the want to blow a bunch of money on Apple stuff. And when you do that, We've seen what these things cost. They have, you know, 38% profit or whatever margins. You know, there's a lot of money uh, going towards Apple. Take some of that money that you're going to give to them and divert it to St. Jude. So that's up to you what that could be. 
it could be something like, hey, I'm going to like, you know, buy a thousand dollar iPhone something max uh, or whatever, then maybe kick a hundred bucks to St. Jude, maybe 200 bucks to St. Jude, whatever you can do. If you can't do that much, give them 30 bucks, give them 20 bucks, whatever you can give, give them what you can. And it really makes a big difference. And it will absolve you of your guilt of just rampant, shameless consumerism <laughs> that we are all about to celebrate by talking about how we're going to spend like, you know, how we're going to buy a new thousand dollar phone to replace our old thousand dollar phone because the camera is a lot better, you know, or whatever. Like we're all going to do this. And, and even for those of you out there who are more reasonable with your budgeting and purchase decisions, give what you can to St. Jude. Uh, because it's a really good organization. This is a really good, uh, just a fantastic cause uh, that really makes a huge difference in people's lives. Uh, and it's hard to find a better place to, to put your money than St. Jude. So give what you can and may you be absolved of your consumer guilt by doing so. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we want to talk about Fire Island or should we talk about the event? <laughs> I don't want to start another Well, fight. first, I think we should begin by just having a video of us just like, you know, of just a whole bunch of like beautiful people in beautiful places <laughs> that have nothing to do with our podcast. I uh, just, just here's, here's how we feel. And then we should come out and say, we made this video to show you how excited we are. We really love this place. <laughs> we are, this is, this is how excited we are. Look at how excited we are. Maybe we can make like a satellite phone call from the desert. Yeah, I, I, I liked that theory. John, that was my guess when, when uh, yeah, Tim Cook tweeted a picture of like someone off in the middle. We're coming from a new location. Turns out the new location was California. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we have a little special treat for the bootleg people, if you don't mind? Because I, I please don't put this in the show. Please don't put this in the show. I will swear. How much editing do you think I'm going to do tonight, Casey? Oh, God. All right. Then I'm, I'm just going to bite my tongue. I was going to complain and moan about how obsessed with California Californians are, but I'll just leave it at that no Cal- look, california is a is a beautiful place like i it is i am oh, so is. whenever i visit there i'm so envious of just how because you know new york is a pretty damn beautiful place too but california really is something else like it's really amazing the the reasons why i, I don't live in california um have nothing to do with its beauty or its climate or anything like that those things are all great and and if it weren't for all the passive aggression i i think you know it would be it would be a lot nicer. Marco prefers aggressive aggression from Yeah, New York. I do. That's yes. what's great about New York. Here in Hard New, agree. Yeah, in New York, everyone just tells you what you what they think at all times to a fault. And and you know, if somebody doesn't like you, it will be very clear to you. Uh, in California, that's not how things are done. And also in New York, the humor is very dry and sarcastic. If you bring dry sarcastic humor to California, they just think you're a jerk. Like they, they don't get it and they, they think you're a jerk, but you won't be able to tell they think you're a jerk because they won't even tell you directly because they're very passive aggressive there. But I do love a lot of people in California and some of them are very, very nice. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good cultural fit for me. The funny thing to me about California is that it is hilariously, preposterously, absurdly, unreasonably expensive to live in a place that is doing everything it can to fall off the continental United States, to go to light itself up in flames, and then completely die because it has no water. It, I mean, it is a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place, and, and there are so many wonderful things about California, but it is hilarious to me how proud Californians are of California. The only people that I know that are more proud of their state are Texans, and there's a lot more guns there, so I don't want to offend them, so I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> but yeah, this was a celebration of California, as everything Apple is, and so after my eyes rolled right the hell out of my head, I picked them up, put them back in my noggin, and then I could continue watching the presentation. We did a little bit on Apple TV+, Plus, uh, which was fine, whatever. It is so... I just got this strange feeling 
seeing, you know, Tim Cook, this this tech company executive, basically becoming for a few minutes a TV executive and having to promote <laughs> a TV lineup, it just was weird. It like, you know, you're accustomed to you know TV people doing TV stuff. You know, you see, you know, the head of the head of NBC or whatever. You know, here's our great fall lineup and all this in prime time, and it's just so it just felt weird to me to see like. Apple, like a, a tech company doing that. Does that, does that seem weird or is everyone just kind of used to that now? Well, I mean, I feel like uh, tech companies running video streaming services. Uh, arguably, Netflix has always kind of been a tech company because they, I mean, even when they were mailing us DVDs. Uh, but Amazon certainly qualifies um, and they have a streaming service. And I feel like, you know, that's just sort of par for the course that you know, uh, large tech companies who want service revenue eventually get a video streaming service and then uh, and then they eventually realize they need original content because people won't give them their other content once they realize they're making money off of it. And so this is just where we find ourselves. And it may be weird for us because like you said, like the head of NBC, does any kid listening to this know or care what the head of NBC has to say about anything? No, it's all streaming these days. So I think this is just the world we live in that, yeah, tech companies have streaming services because streaming services were originally a tech innovation. Uh, even though they're rapidly becoming commonplace. And those companies that have them realize that they want that money. They got to get that original content and then you got to promote it. So uh, I guess it's strange, especially if you're an Apple fan thinking like Apple from the 80s is going to be pitching a bunch of like high budget, <laughs> high polished TV shows. But it just seemed pretty normal to me. Like I would I would just soon leave that out of my uh, product announcement keynotes. But, you know, Apple's going to do what Apple's going to do. And how they they showed iCards for like three different events in a row, too. Yeah, I mean, it It does look like there's some pretty good programming coming. Uh, I don't feel like I have enough time in the day for all the stuff I want to watch as is, but there are definitely things like the uh, Will Ferrell, uh, uh, Paul Rudd, is that right, uh, thing looks pretty good. The Jon Stewart thing looks pretty good. I like the first season of The Morning Show. I'll watch the second season of that. So I don't know there's good stuff coming, but, um, but we really should move along and talk about the iPad. The, uh, the no qualifications, just straight up iPad got updated to a two-year-old processor. <laughs> and it still has <laughs> from a three-year-old processor. We <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it still has traditional touch ID, but it got better cameras, including center stage, which is the thing where it pans and, and tilts and zooms and whatnot. Can I, can I just say how uh, like just painful it is that the the least expensive iPad has center stage, but it's still too fancy for the Mac to have. Mm, yeah, that's very true. Well, and they also didn't give it to the iPhone for whatever that's worth, and yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, but. I mean, maybe it's because of the angle. I think, like, there, when, I immediately when I was feeling bad about the fact that, like, you know, eight bajillion dollar Mac Pro doesn't even come with a camera. But anyway, even if even if you put a camera on it and it's a four K camera, oh no, center stage for you, sorry. Um, but I was thinking for like, you know, for most Macs, or just MacBooks or whatever, that maybe the camera is not high quality enough for them to to crop out of it. Because like what they do with center stage is it's a really wide angle camera, but they just they just show you a crop of that and they just move around. It's pan and scan. They just move around where the crop is in the frame. And maybe the cameras are so bad and so low resolution on Macs that if they tried to do that, it would just look like a blurry Vaseline mess. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I hope Macs catch up with this. I, I'm I'm glad it's on this iPad. Don't get me wrong. It's you know, and and this iPad continues to lag by what the, the same constant amount. Like I said, it was an A12 last year. Now it's an A13. It lags by you know two numbers. The, the current <laughs> chip is an A15. This one has an A13, and as we talked about in last week's show, that's a good chip for a cheap iPad. Um, you know, it's it's a shame that this is the last iPad on the old design and it's the last iPad with lightning and all that and has the first generation pencil and all that other stuff. But hopefully, unlike a product that we will discuss later in the show, I'm sure mm-hmm. next year, maybe <laughs> this design will finally go away and we'll have a clean, uniform iPad lineup all with USB-C. But in the meantime, it's still a good iPad. 
Well, yeah, because like you know, this. I mean, first of all, I do think the timing is kind of funny that they released this right after the school year starts. Because I think the largest consumer of the cheapest iPad is probably schools. <laughs> and so the, the schools probably just bought a ton of the outgoing model. Mm-hmm. Well, but if they keep this cadence, they'll buy a ton of this model for next school year. And then right after they buy them, a new one will come out. That, yeah, that's true. But anyway, um, you know, this, I feel like this, this iPad does a lot kind of under the radar. You know, it's it, like this one is the one that people buy, you know, schools, businesses, but I think mostly schools just buy this in massive quantities. You know, if you need an inexpensive iPad for some reason, whether it's, you know, for for children or for, you know, casual users, business users, um, you know, installation type things like square terminal cash registers and restaurants, like there's all sorts of things where like you just kind of need an iPad. It doesn't need to be very high end in any way. You just kind of want it to be inexpensive and have the basic features covered pretty well. And so I think they said they always whatever the lowest end iPad is, they always sell a ton of them uh, so this is an important model in the sense that it's very widespread and you know it's it's by far like you know the the cheapest way into this kind of stuff but it's also really boring from our point of view as like a tech podcast like there's not much to say about it i think casey put in the notes here i didn't notice this USB-C power adapter <laughs> so mm-hmm. the ipad the ipad doesn't have USB-C on it but i assume it comes with a cable that has lightning on one end i think that's and right, USB-C yes. on the other and that USB-C plugs into the power brick so the ipad kind of got USB-C, but not in a way you really care about <laughs> yeah no certainly not and yeah they made very brief mention of the fact that it's a us USB-C power adapter and i was like oh 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 USB-C. oh wait but that's the original apple pencil so it's got to be lightning and mm-hmm. so it's exactly what you said uh, john that it's got to be you know a lightning to USB-C, or a lightning to USB-C cable in there uh, to go back quickly a half step uh, declan last year you know was remote for kindergarten the entire year he was using a school provided ipad and guess what it was ipad seventh generation 32 gigs and it was full pretty much the moment he was issued it uh but nevertheless that is like you guys were both saying it is definitely the school kid ipad and i mean it does look nice and it's a nice upgrade it's still old tech but it's reasonably cheap it's 330 dollars for us for 64 gigs or 300 bucks if you're an education buyer so order today available next week yeah and that is twice as much storage as before you said you know the the 32 was the standard before now it's 64 Mm -hmm. so that's that's a nice little upgrade All right, iPad Mini, coming back from sleep, I wouldn't say the dead, but coming back from a slumber, perhaps. Uh, It's, quote, their biggest upgrade ever, quote. You know, I used to be a very big iPad Mini apologist. I used to love my iPad Minis, iPads Mini, whatever. Um, I still have a couple, one of which is in use as a kid iPad. Uh, I don't think it's really for me anymore because I really do like having the iPad Pro and particularly having a keyboard that I can use easily with the iPad Pro. But that being said, holy crap, this thing looks awesome. (laughs) So it has the flat sides that I really, really enjoy, and we're going to talk about that some more uh, later. It has an A15, which I didn't say out loud during the keynote, but it does. It supports the pencil too, and I noticed it was very funny that the pencil appears to be just a touch less tall than the iPad is itself. Yeah. So the iPad <laughs> and the pencil are very nearly the same height, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, it comes in purple, pink, star- starlight, space gray, and apparently no silver. Uh, an 8.3-inch display with wide color, true tone. It, they made mention of it being extremely anti-reflective, which I thought was interesting, and 500 nits, which probably doesn't mean much right now, but will mean a little something in comparison later on. It does have the power button touch ID. This is in contrast to the iPad that has the traditional uh, uh, home button touch ID. This one is USB-C. It has 12 megapixel front and rear cameras. 
uh, including a rear camera with true tone flash, uh, the 12 megapixel front camera center stage, a uh, new speaker system with stereo, that, which they specifically said stereo in landscape, which I guess makes sense if they're on what I would consider the top and bottom if you're holding it in portrait, but I thought that was an interesting comment. Uh, also available for order right now. And yeah, you can order right now and it will be available next week. Yeah, this is awesome. Like, you know, my, so our, our kid uses an iPad mini as his primary computing device most of the time. Um, and, you know, because, you know, people, <laughs> I saw like, you know, a few people on Twitter like it blew by that everyone's like, why are you upgrading the iPad mini so much? And the reason is like the iPad mini for a long time has been a low end device. And, you know, as we've, as many nerds like us have said from the iPad and the iPhone and even the Mac lineup, Sometimes the small thing needs to be low end for whatever reason, you know, that maybe the high performance hardware can't fit in the smaller enclosure of something. But there's also a lot of people who want a smaller thing in the product line, but who also want it to be good. You know, like yep. sometimes the small thing is the low end thing most of the time, but it's also nice when there's a small thing that has higher end options or, or higher end performance in some way. And the iPad mini for forever has been just kind of eh. It, you know, it's always been middle of the road hardware, not super, you know, great in, in any real respect, um, oftentimes lagging behind by a year or two um, and not updated very frequently. And it went through a, a time about three, four years ago when we all thought it was dead forever. But the good thing is then they finally updated it and they've they've actually kept it updated uh, now. This this is continuing a pretty good pattern. Um, I think the last one is out is uh, updated about two and a half years ago. So this is not bad to have this one be, you know, here here now. Um, as for the design and everything, what they basically did is made it a tiny iPad Air. Um, although it's actually better than the iPad Air because it has the it has an A15 and the iPad Air has an A14. So they it, they've upgraded it just more recently, but otherwise it's basically a mini iPad Air, which the iPad Air is basically, you know, a, a thinned down iPad Pro. And so this actually has really good capabilities. And it, this is way higher end than I would have guessed. I, I never would have guessed that they would have put the new high-end chip, the A15, in the iPad mini update. You should have listened to last week's episode because that was one of the ideas <laughs> of like, why is Apple making such a big initial order to the A15 uh, of the A15 chip from their chip supplier? Maybe they just needed to order a bunch to get a low price, but the other possibility was like, maybe they're putting an A15 into more stuff. Now, I don't know how many of the iPad mini sells. Maybe it's a drop in the bucket compared to the iPhone, but that was an open question based on the rumors. Was it going to be A14 or A15? And they did the weird thing in this presentation where they're like, the new C CPU is 40% more than such and such, and GPU is X percent more than whatever, but they never said what chip was in it. And as soon as they didn't say, I immediately thought, it's got to be an A15, because if it was an A14, they would just say. Now, them not saying, because it's an A15, is dumb, in my opinion, because 20 minutes later, they're going to, quote-unquote, unveil the A15 with the new <laughs> iPhones. It's like, we know it's going to be in the new iPhones. You just increment the number every year. It's not rocket science they should have just said it was an a15 and you'll hear more about that chip later yeah exactly. and it's not like it's, it's it's not like it's unprecedented they've done it before where a couple of times in the past the some other device other than the iphone has rolled out the new system on a chip usually an ipad uh before the phone but anyway it's an a15 and so yeah some of those extra a15s that they ordered or whatever are going into ipads and this if you're interested in an ipad mini this is when you buy because it's not going to be updated to an A16 next year. I'm pretty much guarantee you that, right? Unless they've really changed how they're doing the mini. So at this moment, this mini is an amazing machine. And it's priced like one. It's expensive. It's like it starts at $499 or whatever. But it is, like Marco said, it's it's like a, a it's not even a mini iPad Air. It's better than mini iPad Air. It's not quite a mini Pro, but it's kind of in between those two things. So this is a 
great little machine. And if you are a fan of this, like, you know, this is this is the time to buy. Just buy it now and be happy with your purchase for the next few years before the next one comes out. Yeah, it's a fantastic looking thing. I, I'm we are we are mo- don't tell them we're probably going to get Adam one for Christmas. Um, but <laughs> but it's the only thing is they made it more expensive as well. Um, you know the iPad, even the iPad Mini. You know every iPad once you spec it up, you're going to be near a thousand dollars probably. And this is no different. This is like if you actually want like the two fifty six gig model, and maybe if you want cellular, like that's that's going to be like seven or eight hundred dollars because now it starts at 500 which i think is 100 more than before um but it i think given that they're giving it high-end hardware now i think that's reasonable um you know we'll see when it actually gets here uh you know i'll I'll let you know after christmas sometime (laughs) but but it it looks like a pretty awesome upgrade and if you would have said you know the ipad mini is rumored to get an update what do you think would be in it i wouldn't have guessed it would be this high end and i wouldn't have even guessed it would have gotten the ipad air design i would have thought it would have been basically just like the cheap ipad but smaller and it's not they they made it a pretty nice like at least mid-range if not somewhat high-end product and that's great i wish i knew how many of these things they sold because i do wonder if the choice to go with an a15 was more of an economies of scale choice than anything else of just like Let's not complicate it. Let's not, uh, you know, like, let's just put all, let's let's make the biggest order of A15s that we can. And we know this, we don't update this product that often. So it's just simpler. Let's just go with A15 everywhere. Like, because it doesn't need it. No one is dying for an A15. And if this had an A14, it would still be a great machine. But lo and behold, it gets the A15 because they've just got a lot of them. And it's a, it's a great chip. And it's a great chip for an iPad of this size. Like, you don't need like an X variant to have, you know, a huge GPU for all the pixels that it's pushing. It's the beauty of the the mini, right? Small size, small display. You can think of it as a really, really big iPhone 13 if you want to. Only, I guess, without the phone part. But um, just having, have, like, kind of like the M1 being in everything, you know, being in the in the, the top-end iPad and also all of the ARM Macs, it's just nice to have one chip and to use it everywhere. And if your chip is really good, like the A15 is and like the M1 is, go for it. And everyone, and everyone who gets that in any of their products, like, think of the M1. If you have one of those Macs, or if you have the iPad, everybody's happy with that chip. No one is, feels like, oh, I got this $999 MacBook Air, but it's got a stupid iPad chip in it. And on the flip side, no one gets the iPad Pro and says, oh, it's got this stupid Mac chip in it. Everybody likes it. They make good silicon by their products. You know, the chat room pointed out a little while ago, and I did not notice during the presentation, the volume buttons are now at the top. They're the same, like, plane as the Touch ID button. Oh, you're right. I did not notice that. I think it's because the pencil takes up the entire side of the darn thing. Oh, yeah, but, I see it. The two little socket. Yeah, I think you're right. It's got it's to be the pencil. I did not notice that. I think that's reasonable for the mini, like yeah. especially if you're using it in landscape mode a lot. That's the whole mystery of the iPad. And I think the, the ones that I was going to say the ones with Face ID, but this one doesn't have Face ID, but it looks like it might, but it doesn't. <laughs> um, the ones that don't have a home button on the front of it, there's less of a sort of hardware opinion about what is the correct orientation, ignoring the logo on the back, which is going to be covered by a case or whatever anyway. Um, so in that scenario, having like, you say, oh, they're on the top, but really they're on the side if you constantly use it in landscape. It's a very confusing product. But I, anyway, I think it's fine. I think it's a perfectly reasonable compromise um, for the pencil because I think the pencil is great and you definitely want the one that sticks to the side because it's so much better than that stupid lightning harpoon thing. 
Oh, harpoon was generous. No, that was more like the uh, you know the the, the really excited pencil. Um, <laughs> Unicorn horn, narwhal. Like yeah, it could be a little bit. Narwhal's less, good. Less yeah. That's much better. I, one thing I I thought was really funny though about the iPad Mini is that you know they they have the you know the, the Face ID iPad generation uh, design here. You know, as you mentioned, without Face ID, but you know the the rounded screen corners, the you know edge to edge screen in quotes, but. The the margins, like the bezels around the screen, seem to be about the same thickness as on on all the large iPads. So when they shrink it down to this small screen size, it looks proportionally like a much thicker bezel. And I love they they kept saying this beautiful edge to edge screen. And you look at this thing, and it's so <laughs> not edge to edge. Like, it, and yeah, I think it yeah. looks good, but I wouldn't have used that that terminology over and over again while showing it on screen. And it's clear, like I think we're going to look at this in ten years, and we're going to laugh at how thick this bezel is. Mm, I, I mean, I maybe, but like I I kind of feel like that that the bezel serves a purpose on an iPad as a place for your fingers to go when you grip it. And even though even though like I don't know if Apple agrees with that because they may just be like, well, we don't care. We're bringing the screen all to the edge as soon as we can, because that's an Apple thing to do. But uh, if you you know, if you believe in the idea of having some amount of place to grip it that part should scale with the size of our fingers, not with the size of the screen. Um, so keeping it the same size. Now, they probably kept it the same size just, again, because economies of scale and you know similarities of parts and manufacturing and so on and so forth, and maybe they will burn it all to the edge. But we said the same thing when they brought in, remember from like the original iPad that had like an inch and a half around all sides to grab it? <laughs> that was arguably much better for gripping, but it was a lot of wasted space. And when they went to this design, it was like, oh, there's so much less room to grip and we have to add, you know, machine learning finger rejections so your you know so your thumb remember that whole thing when they went to the, the you know so it knows that your thumb that's that you're not trying to press the button on the side of the screen that you're just grabbing it like it causes problems but i think going all the way edge to edge will not necessarily make a better ipad if anything it will just make people start buying cases and they'll grab by the case part i guess that's the uh the you know the path of naked robotic core but i'm I'm kind of I kind of like the idea, especially if this is going to be an iPad that a kid might use, that, that you still have some sort of non-screen safe area on the edges to grab the thing. Yep. No, this looks really good. Uh, I'm. It's one of those things where I'm glad this exists, even though it isn't for me. And I feel kind of similar about the uh, the iPhone Mini, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, I'm glad that there is more than just big and huge for iPads. I'm glad that there's something small. And and I have a couple of friends that um, one is a professional pilot and a couple that are going to get their private pilot's license and they're losing their minds over having a small iPad that's modern because I guess, you know, in the in the context of a cockpit that it's really, really convenient to have an iPad for various different things. But nevertheless, to have one that's huge is a real pain. So they're really super duper excited about this. And I, I'm excited too. Speaking of the iPhone mini, I do wonder... Uh, if Apple is will eventually start going towards the idea of an iPad Mini Pro, right? Because the iPhone Mini is not the iPhone Mini Pro. It is not a miniature version of the Pro iPads. It's a miniature version of the non-Pro or Pro iPhones. A miniature version of the non-Pro iPhones, right? And so I was thinking of that for someone using it in a cockpit. One of the attributes of the Pro iPads is they have this super duper very bright mini LED screen. It's like more than twice as bright as this thing. And if you're going to use it in a sunny cockpit of an airplane, you'd probably want a screen that's brighter than this one, but you can't get it because they don't sell a Pro Mini with that type of thing. Um, I'm, presumably Apple knows what the market for this looks like, but yeah, this has got an A15 in it, but a 500-nit screen, but the good pencil, but, you know, not ProMotion and all this. You know, it's kind of, 
you know, it's it's a very it's a little bit better than the iPad Air, um, but they're they're close now. They've got the same design, the top end chip. You could add another hundred bucks or so to this and come up with an iPad Mini Pro. Uh, that would actually be pretty cool, but for the, probably for the same reason they don't make an, an iPhone Mini Pro. There's just not enough demand for it. Who knows? Um, but I think that that tension continues to exist in Apple's line where they will diversify in both size and features, but there is always a little pocket where they say, you know what, we're not making a pro and non-pro variant of what usually ends up being the small one just because we think we're diversified enough. If you really want the small size, you're going to deal with compromises. Otherwise, we have a good spread. Moving on, Apple Watch. We had a little bit of discussion about WatchOS 8, and I thought a new announcement, but maybe we knew this and I missed it. Uh, But they're adding a cycling workout and fall detection, including uh, better support, better algorithmic support for e-bikes and, you know, how many calories you're burning when you're using an e-bike. They're going to have memories and the Photos app on WatchOS 8, uh, which is great. But what we all care about, of course, is, is Apple Watch Series 7. I know, Marco, you were celebrating that they don't have the flat sides. I still like the flat sides. Oh, thank God they didn't do the flat sides. uh, Uh, I just want to point out, but up to this point, uh, our rumors that we went through last show were pretty much dead on for everything that was announced, but here things went off the rails, or onto the rails, (laughs) if you're Marco. (laughs) Yeah, I think, actually, besides the, the, like, screen size increase... I don't think any of the other rumors about the Apple Watch came true. They were talking about possibly having more sensors. Uh, they were talking about, obviously, like the, the flat-sided design. Uh, and meanwhile, we have, it looks like we have no new sensors. We don't have the flat-sided design, thank God. Uh, and then the things that were, the other things that were changed, like the faster charging, you know, the different, like, kind of bulkier MagSafe thing, possibly. Um, no, no one talked about that at all. Like, that was not rumored. None of that stuff was rumored. <laughs> but anyway, um, oh, Oh, and, and the production delay was rumored, so <laughs> that's the thing. These aren't coming out till fall. Yeah, before you get to the design of this thing, did they ever mention what chip is in it? I searched the no. website and I scripted the video. So here's here's the thing. They This is kind of a theme of this whole event. They, they only very briefly talked about the A15. Almost every comparison they did when talking about the A15 was not comparing it against the A14. It was comparing it either against like a two-year-old model of something else that uses like the A12 or something, or they were saying it's X percent faster than the leading competition, which is like, you know, in the Android world. So what I'm guessing here, I'm guessing the A15 is not a massive upgrade from the A14. Now, that being said, you know, these are still amazingly fast chips. There's tons of headroom, um, but but I, this doesn't seem like it's a year where the chip is taking a massive jump. And if it's not taking a massive jump on the, you know, the main, like, A-series chip for the phone and iPad, it's probably, I think, I think a lot of that same core design is probably shared with other products, like, uh, you know, whatever the Mac chip is going to be this year, and, and like the, uh, possibly the watch uh, CPUs. And so, it wouldn't surprise me if this is kind of a like a, a battery life gaining year all around. Uh, if they just you know improve efficiency in a lot of areas and don't necessarily uh, spend a lot of uh, a lot of that budget on performance. Well, the question is, does this have a different chip than the Series Six, or does it have exactly the same chip as the Series Six? Oh, that's interesting. You know, it, that wouldn't surprise me if it, they've done they've done that before. They, they where they've repeated the same chip in two in two watch yeah. models, I believe, um, and not the Series One and Two, which were actually the same the same year. But I believe. Um, didn't the three or no? I think the four to five didn't change the chip or something like that. There, I, th- I believe they've done that something before. like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. But honestly, and I, I, I'm shocked that I'm saying this, 
but the Series 6 watch has been fast enough for me. <laughs> it's the first time an Apple watch has ever been fast enough for me. It's the first time where like the CPU speed of the watch does not appear to be holding me back for the most part. Um, now, when I'm doing development, other things hold me back, like the wireless debugging too setup. Soon. Too soon, yes. Marco. Too <laughs> we'll get soon. to that some other day. But, but yeah, but it doesn't seem like, like it, in the past, the watch's own processor being so incredibly low power has really slowed me down in development. Um, but this, the Series 6, it, it finally doesn't seem to be doing that. Uh, and I'm, I'm able to do all sorts of stuff with SwiftUI and the interface that I think might be slow, and then I try it, and it's just not. Um, so anyway, so I don't think the watch necessarily needs a faster CPU. What the watch always needs, always, 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 is more efficiency. Not because, mm-hmm. not just to extend its own battery life. Sometimes it needs that. But what, what it mostly needs it for is, in my opinion, to enable apps to do more. Everything you do on the Apple Watch as a developer is heavily throttled by the system. You have such incredibly low limits. Like if you use more than a certain percentage of the CPU for a couple of seconds, it just kills your app. Like you're, you're just out. There are so many limitations on like what you can do with complications and with app backgrounding and stuff that like you just get no time to do anything or it'll only let you update the complication, you know, 20 times in, in an hour or whatever. You know, there's, there's certain, there's all these limits all over the place to, you know, to, inf- to ensure like they can get through the day power wise and anything that the watch can do to improve efficiency might lead to some of those limits getting lifted. Uh, and so from a developer's point of view and from all of you as a user point of view, that's kind of what you should want because that changes what watch stuff can do. Um, so we'll see what happens. But if they didn't improve performance, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing in, in this particular generation. Yeah, you know, I was reasonably excited for the Series 7. And I don't. I, I'm, I currently have a Series 6 because I'm... Uh, a blatant consumer and believe in blatant consumerism when it comes to this stuff. But uh, I, I love my series six. I like it a lot. I agree with what you were saying about speed. As long as you're not doing development, uh, pardon me while I go fetal. Uh, but nevertheless, I, my battery life is still not stupendous as I was uh, whining about last episode. And so for battery life alone, I was, I was interested in maybe getting a series seven. I am still interested, but there's nothing about it that's making me go, oh, 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 yes, that's what I want in my life. And so what are the things that they're trying to hang their hat on? Uh, they're trying to hang their hat on the new screen. Uh, it's still a little bit bulbous, for lack of a better word. It's not the flat sides that I maintain look cool, even though Marco is disgusted by them. Um, it is 20, The screen is 20% bigger than the Series 6, 50% bigger than the Series 3. God help us. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, it has <laughs> a less than 2 millimeter border. It's 40% thinner than the Series 6. It has a wraparound effect. Wait, hold on. on the, the watch is not 40% thinner. I don't I, the I think the screen, yeah. yes, like the cover, the cover glass, the cover crystal is thinner. Mm-hmm. The watch mm-hmm. looks like it's actually about the same. Huh? I think you're right. And and I think they said something about the charging thing, wart, whatever, that's, that's part of the watch. I think they said is actually a smidge bigger. Blob is the official term, the charging blob. Thank you. The charging blob, TM, uh, is actually a little bit bigger. I think, check my work on that, I might be wrong. Um, but anyways, the screen has a wraparound effect on the display edges, which makes it look like the display is going, like, uh, uh, curving a, w- a little bit, even though it isn't. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. Like, so, uh, obviously, this is not the flat design. This is the same design as all the other Apple Watches, and they did the same thing they do uh, have done every year where there's been a quote-unquote redesign, which is, technically speaking, every in car parlance every panel is different every body panel is different mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. practically speaking it still looks like a 911 right like it's the same <laughs> watch right it's it's it is the same look 
but it is different. And uh, but part of that is the the glass on the top of it. Like if you look at it from the side, you can see the glass because the glass itself has a little bit of a dome on it. Now the difference between and that has been true, I think, for all the watches. Like if you looked at it in a profile, you could see the dome of the glass or the crystal or whatever. But in the past, what that has meant is, okay, there's that little dome, but the only part of that that we light up, if you look at it head on, is the flat part. And in this watch, it seems like they're trying to say, we don't just light up the flat part. We also light up the parts that curve towards the edges. I, uh, I don't think that's true. So we're recording the night of the bro- of the keynote, and we don't have all our facts straight. You could say that this episode is a little bit accidental. But accidental. I believe what they said was that because of the way the display, or not, the, excuse me, not the display, because of the way the, like, crystal at the top is it refracts and again that term might be wrong i might be using that incorrectly but it it refracts a little bit of the light such that it appears that it's being lit up on the like curved portion but it is not in actuality being lit up there it's just a basically an optical illusion that was what i took from it i think it has to be lit up there because if you look at it head on you'll see there's like the the amount that's not lit up when you look at it head on in which case there's no like sort of looking from the side refraction on you're just looking at top view there's the the amount that's not lit up is too thin to encompass the entire radius it seems to me again not having seen it in person it's hard to tell in the pictures but it seems to me that like like even the screen itself could continue to be flat a flat plane that lights up but because that flat plane goes i don't know i mean they can also say it's closer to the glass too so it couldn't be like on you know back. well so here's here's what i think is going on first of all um what we said a minute ago about it being 40 percent thinner is not right, uh, or at least the way I interpreted that. The oh, the sorry. thickness of the cover glass slash sapphire, which they call the crystal because that's the that's the watch term, but it's either glass or sapphire depending on the model. The thickness of that, like as in like the height of it off the case, is not only not thinner; it's actually thicker. <laughs> they even brag about how it's actually thicker to make it stronger. Now I think. I don't think it, it's sticking up as far. I think the way it got thicker is by going down towards the screen. Um, but what's 40% thinner is the the width of the bezel around the screen. So like the dis- mm-hmm. like if you're looking mm-hmm. at it head on, like the margin around the screen, that is what's 40% thinner. The screen, the crystal itself is not thinner um, and in fact has, been, has apparently grown downwards to basically reduce the distance between the screen and the glass. Now, what... Casey is saying about the way it refracts around the side is probably right. Watches do this. There, there's actually not that many of them, but um, if you if you know about the is it Resence or Resence, it's this high end um, oil filled watch brand. Not all of them are oil filled, but their, their high end model is. There's also there, throughout time there's been a few other watches in the watch world that have oil filled cases. Um, I actually own one by Sin. It's actually this wonderful old uh, diving watch, um, and. What's interesting about oil-filled watch cases is that there is the, – the way the oil in the middle of the case refracts light is different than the way air gaps do between the dial and the crystal. And it basically does this. It looks just like this, the side view on, on the Apple Watch page with the, with the like you know, oily-looking screen. Basically, if you look at it at an angle, it looks like the – you know, in, in the case of the, of the actual watch, the dial and the hands, or in the case of the Apple Watch, the screen contents, it looks like it is like painted on the surface of the glass as opposed to being on a screen that's a, you know, a couple of millimeters below it. What I'm guessing they've done here is that they did make the crystal bigger, thicker. They put it down towards the screen and, and eliminated the gap between the screen and the crystal, most likely. That would probably create this same effect when paired with a crystal with the right shape which it looks like they have done. 
So I'm guessing that this will from like from the side, I think it actually will look like this. It, it will look like it goes almost edge to edge. Now, the watch face they've chosen to show this off, the one with like the warping numbers around the side, which honestly I think is hideous, but it does show off the effect well. I think they've obviously designed this watch face to not go all the way to the edge. <laughs> like it does, it goes all the way to the edge of the screen, um, but this face is designed with a black margin around the numbers as a design element that happens to coincide with the edge of the screen. So it, it makes it look even better than it is, but I still think it's going to look pretty awesome and it's going to probably have much, much better um, visibility at, at deep angles. And if they've done this trick that I think they might have done, it should, for whatever it's worth, also make it more visible underwater. Hmm. So my question is, if the screen continues to be a flat plane and it goes as far to the edge as Apple's pictures make it seem like it goes... Does that mean the screen, the light up part is farther away from the surface of the crystal as well? Because again, if you have like a dome shape and you have a flat piece, you can't push that flat piece against the dome shape unless you start curving the edges of it, right? Well, the bottom of the crystal is presumably flat. Like the, the, the inside part of the crystal is flat. So it's like the crystal is filled like it's it is a dome shape, but it is completely solid glass or sapphire or whatever. And it has a flat bottom. And that's what the screen is shoved up against. Most likely. Yes. All right, that that makes more sense. Like I don't, I've never actually like cracked one of these open or seen the iFixit thing where they actually like saw the thing in half and say, "Show me where the <laughs> light up part is," because I'm still just envisioning it as like a flat screen, but then like a you know a hollow dome that's on top of it. If it's if it is a solid thing with a flat bottom, this makes way more sense. And yes, then then it totally is refracting to the side or whatever. But then when viewed head on, I mean, the main point is someone had a good tweet about this. I just grabbed the image and put it in our show notes. So I guess I'll grab the the Twitter link as well. Um, saying that the Series 3, which we will get to in a moment, now looks like a CSS error on Apple's website. Because you see the you see the Series 6, which looks like an Apple Watch with a big black border around it. You see the <laughs> Series 7, which looks like an Apple Watch with no border. And you see the Series 3, which looks like an Apple Watch. And unfortunately, someone put this rectangular photo in the middle of the screen somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't look correct. It doesn't look right. Uh, and really, I, I think this is the, uh, this screen is the most uh, important aspect of the Series 7 as far as I'm concerned, just because it it finally gets to the point where I feel like you've filled the watch face with screen. And, and now maybe you're like, I, I didn't feel cramped. I don't need more complications. I didn't need to see more data. Uh, even if you don't care about any of those things, I think just aesthetically speaking and sort of like Johnny Ive, like essence of the product speaking, now it finally looks like, what I would imagine they wanted it to look like from the beginning. If you remember the original Apple Watch designs, all the watch faces intentionally, like, essentially had black bodies to them, so you couldn't see that terrible edge. Like, you wouldn't see, oh, I have a rounded rectangle with a non-rounded rectangle inset far into the middle of it. Right? If you just make everything in the background black because it's OLED, you don't notice that. But as soon as they got the rounded corners, they said, we're going to light up the whole screen. And now, finally, when you light up the whole screen, you essentially light up, again, judging by Apple's marketing pictures, the whole surface of the watch. And there, I think, you've essentially achieved what you want. And now you can vary the size of that and everything, and you're not, like, burning any space on, you know, empty black area on the watch. I'm, and we'll have to see one in person to see if this, if this refracting effect is weird or whatever, but I really like this design. I'm, I think I'm, I'm kind of with Marco. I don't really care about what watches look like, but I'm kind of glad that they stuck with the 911 design and just, like, look, it looks like, it looks like an Apple watch. It is slightly refined. It's better in a bunch of ways, but it is still the iconic design. Um, if and when they come out with a new design that 
sort of radically changes from this. Uh, you know, I think it will be, I'll be happy when it happens, but one more year of this design is perfectly fine with me because I think this watch looks really good. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, like, I don't, I, I have yet to think of, I mean, look, I'm not an industrial designer by any means, but I have yet to think of how they could give the watch straight sides and have it look better than what they are, what they have already accomplished with the curved sides. It was half, if it was half the thickness, it would look cool with flat sides for sure. Um, maybe, yeah, I, it, it would be, it, it would be possible. Um, but also keep in mind like, the entire strap ecosystem has all been designed with like this curved blobby look. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously half the thickness is not going to be next year. It'll be like many years in the future, like, you know, but, but if they stick with this iconic design, it's fine. But speaking of straps, so that's another, another advantage of this design. As far as I'm aware, you can still use all the existing bands with that's these right. watches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they yeah, said they, like it they said they it. they basically they barely changed the exterior dimensions. Um, so the exterior dimensions are effectively the same according to them. We'll see how it plays out in practice. Um, one other thing worth noting: um, silver as a as a case color is gone. <laughs> like except unless you go steel, but like the silver aluminum that used to be kind of like the default color of an Wait, Apple Watch. What I totally missed that. Just just like the iPad Mini, no no silver in the Mini, no silver in the watch. Yes, like the the low end products no longer have silver. So what color is this? I'm looking at the picture and like you know, there's black something that looks like silver, probably isn't called silver. No, maybe that's it's blue. Like, it's um, starlight is is the closest thing, which is like a very light gold. Starlight is, it seems like it's the new space gray, and that there's a thing called starlight that is a different color in every product that has that color, but it all kind of looks grayish like sort this starlight looks a lot like silver in the watch. It, yeah but it's like it's like it's silver with like a little bit of pink and copper blended in mm-hmm. like it's, it's really like, it looks like true tone kind of went wrong and uh, from silver and it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a lot of these things are like uh, really testing your color receptors i don't know this is something they tend not to do they just you know for they give you a color blindness test especially if you're uh a uh, boy in school or whatever getting your eyes tested, you know, they want to make because uh, color blindness is more prevalent in, uh, in uh, boys than girls. And so they give you this test. Can you tell the difference between red and green or whatever, what numbers is it? But what they don't do is, can you tell like this mild fuchsia from this slightly more purpley fuchsia? Like no one ever cares about those nuances. And no, I don't want to get into, do you see the same green as I do? But like subtle variations in color. I think Apple's color choices with these things like Starlight are getting to the point where there's probably large sections of the population that literally can't tell Starlight from silver. Yeah, but I it probably. But I think it's interesting. I mean, because you know they've they've had these same colors. You know the the kind of you know basic silver, space gray, whatever whatever that means each year. <laughs> but, you know they've had these basic colors for a long time, and it, and the fact that they've thrown silver out. With the low-end products this year, like same thing, um, the iPhone 13 and 13 mini do not offer silver. Um, the Pro line does, but the 13 and 13 mini do not, um, and so and neither does the Apple Watch Series 7 in aluminum, like the, it's or the, the iPad mini. Like that's, I think that's very interesting. Um, and one thing I do like about these new colors, though, uh, across all these products, uh, is that they seem to have made them more bold. Especially like the red is much more red and bold. Um, more saturated, you mean, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, more saturated and a little bit darker. Um, which I, I think is nice uh, because they, the the design over the last couple of years has been pretty pastel. Like I recently, I finally at some point recently saw the um, the new IMAX in person in an Apple store, and I was surprised how incredibly pastel they all were. And I, I honestly 
didn't think any of the colors would be right for me if I was buying one. Well, the front of the iMacs are pastel, but the back, they went bold like these watches. Like the back of the blue iMac is not powder blue. It is deep blue like this watch. Same thing with the back of the red one, the back of the orange one. The fronts are all very pale and pastel, which I think was sort of intentional to not be distracting. But I, I think the, the iMacs, like in total surface area, the iMacs are also bold colors, just not on the side that you look at. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, like the the colors in general look pretty good uh, in the aluminum this year. Um, and I think, am I correct that the titanium and steel colors did not change with this generation? Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at them in in the keynote where they have a lineup of they have five watches in the keynote with uh, various colors. I I almost feel like Apple is sort of on its way, but not quite willing to embrace the uh, the everything's an automotive analogy the car uh thing so everyone knows when you buy a car rarely do you buy a car and get to choose a color like purple or pink right they all have stupid names like starlight right they're all called even the white is not called white it's called like you know pearl uh, you know, opalescent pearl white or something whatever there's always some fancy name for any color uh and so we've got space gray which is a fanciful name we've got starlight and we got pink and purple why, why not call why don't you call pink and purple or something too oh interestingly uh, by the way the watch does not come in space gray anymore either it comes in midnight which looks like a very dark grayish blue mm-hmm. so it's close like like midnight and starlight are close to space gray and silver but they're subtly not midnight is darker than any space gray has ever been for sure well in the pictures it's you know it's hard to tell but they, they also offer something just called blue which is significantly lighter looking than last year's blue series six. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. I, we might have to see these in person. And, and, and by the way, red, red ring on the, uh, what is it called? The, the digital the crown. crown. Yep. It's ra- red on all of them. Oh, that's interesting. Even, even the non-cellular ones. Oh, I don't know. I'm just saying like the blue one has a red ring. The, the, the silver slash starlight one has a red ring. The Navy slash midnight one has a red ring. Like, I would guess the product shots are just all indicating cellular, like Marco was alluding to. I know, but it's it's just not color coordinated. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I and also I I mean, and I know like they have to have a ring there. It doesn't have to be red, but they have to have a ring to electrically separate the middle of the mm-hmm. middle of the crown, which is used for the heart sensing, and the outside of the crown. And so, so it has to be like electrically non-conductive boundary between those two. Um, but I, I do kind of think the red ring does not look good anymore. Like with most of the colors that they offer, I think that should just be black on, on everything now. Like I think the red doesn't look good. It, look, it looks good on the silver one, I think. Occasionally. but, but Like, it, like yeah. if the color is neutral, if the watch color is neutral, the red accent looks good. If the watch itself has a color like the blue one, the red seems like it's competing. And, and, and the red well, one. They no longer sell a neutral colored watch. <laughs> they do. The star, starlight, I feel like, is neutral. I don't think so. <laughs> we'll see how it looks in person. I, I can't tell. And I, I'm looking at my True Tone screen here, and at night with weird yellow lighting, I don't know what it's doing to these colors. Yeah, we definitely have to see these in person. But anyway, this this is not new. The red ring thing has been, I think it was the same for previous generations as well. All right, so a couple other things to mention with regard to the watch. Uh, first of all, it is available later this fall, uh, which we don't know anything more than that. Uh, additionally, they they touted all day battery life, which I can tell you on my Series Six is not really freaking true, but whatever. Thirty three percent faster charging, and I I might have these wrong. This happened very quickly, and I was trying to take notes. So uh, so again, check my math on this. But I believe they said it would go from zero percent charge to eighty percent in forty five minutes, 
And it was something like eight minutes was enough to do sleep tracking or something like that. Again, yeah, uh, it was eight minutes of charging for eight hours of sleep tracking. There you go. Uh, and and it has apparently a USB-C charger. Which, by the way, Apple has already sold USB-C Apple Watch chargers for a long time. Just they were they were like they had these little short ones for traveling, which has actually been great. <laughs> but <laughs> no one ever knew about them or bought them. Um, but this is this is presumably a USB power delivery charger, which is probably going to be faster wattage. Right. And so uh, I don't know. It was unclear to me if the puck portion was different. I thought they implied that it was. But uh, again, maybe I got that wrong. So it'll charge faster, which is nice. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I personally feel like it charges too slowly in the Series 6, but certainly faster charging is better, especially if you're trying to do sleep tracking. Um, it, they said they're going to have a lot of new colors for existing bands. They did explicitly say that it will be compatible with existing bands. And hey, guess what, Marco? Great news! If you're looking for a watch that's super cheap, your favorite, the Series Three, is only two hundred bucks. Oh my god! How is this oh still a thing? My, I mean, god. I know we're going about to complain about the Series Three, but the SE is still the same too, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, so last year when the Series Three, which was super old last year, uh, <laughs> when when they when they dropped that price to one eighty nine, and they introduced the SE at two seventy nine last year. Everybody said, okay, well, it sucks that we have to have the Series 3 for one more year, but at least next year, which is now, they'll drop the Series 3 finally, and then they'll drop the price of the SE from 279 to 199 Well, guess what happened this year? <gasps> Nothing. They <sighs> kept the Series 3 at 199 and they kept the SE at 279 No change. <laughs> <laughs> and to be clear, this is not like the iPhone SE where there was a new phone called iPhone SE that was better than the old phone called iPhone SE. Isn't that, isn't that what they did in the phone? Right. Line? And it, yeah, right. and the Apple Watch SE is basically a Series 5 minus the always-on screen. Like hardware-wise, it's it's effectively that. It's like a lower end. Oh, and I think minus the uh, EKG support as well. So it's like it's effectively like a, like a, a feature-cut Series 5 to make it more like the Series 4, but with the Series 5 guts. Um, so it's not – the SE is, is a totally fine watch. Um, and, but there's no reason, like it, the SE was seemingly built to be inexpensive. So obviously the long-term plan, I hope, is to do exactly what we expected to happen today, <laughs> which was drop it to 200 bucks and call, and get rid of the three and call it a day and keep it in lineup for a while. But that didn't happen today for unknown and unclear reasons. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And, and the series three, the reason why we're upset, it's not because like, oh, we're making fun of old things. It's because the Series 3 is not a good product in 2021. It also wasn't a good product in 2020. Um, it, it was a fine product when it came out in what, like 2017 or something, 2018. Like it, it, When it came out, it was fine. Um, but the Series 3 now is very difficult for both Apple and developers to support. If you remember, what, there were a lot of changes from 3 to 4. 3 to 4 is when they changed to the new industrial design with the more rounded corners, the um, you know more edge-to-edge screen. Um, and that added a whole bunch of um, watch face changes that were made possible by it having a much faster 64-bit processor and much more RAM and much more storage space. The Apple Watch Series 3 experience of ownership today is terrible. Apple Watch Series 3 owners, they, like you have to like unload your watch to do a software update because there's not enough space on a Series 3 to download and install a software update. Like, that's that's how bad the experience is. The Series 3, it cannot use any of the modern watch faces. It cannot use color complications. Anything that includes the word infograph in its watch face is not available on that watch. There's not enough RAM to do anything. And the 38 millimeter size, the entry-level size, uh, which, personally, 
a separate discussion is like Apple hasn't made a watch that size since then. And so for people who need or want a smaller watch, the 40 millimeter one that's existed since then is good. That's the one I wear, but uh, it's certainly bigger. And so th- there is, you know, they made everything bigger and never really refilled a small one. But anyway, as a developer, supporting that screen size is very, very hard because it's way smaller, way more cramped than the 40 millimeter watch screen space wise because not only did the watch itself get bigger when it went from 38 to 40 but the screen margin got way smaller and so you get a way bigger screen with the 40 millimeter series 4 5 and 6 and se than you do with the series 3 so keeping around the series 3 is not just like oh the next one up is 20 percent faster like the jump from 3 to 4 was a huge jump in both hardware specs of just you know cpu and ram as well as the practical effect of, of having to try to support that old version um, in, in UI design, in apps, and for Apple with the OS. And so the fact that they're selling it now still means that watchOS 8 not only couldn't drop it because they were selling it last year, but this also means that watchOS 9 next year probably can't drop support for the Series 3 either, and neither can any of us who run apps for it. And that sucks for both Apple and all developers out there. And frankly, everyone who buys one of these watches today because it's a terrible product to be buying new in 2021. If you still have a Series 3 and it still works for you, great. But to be buying it new in 2021 and to expect it to be an okay experience two or three years from now, let alone even just now, I I think it's setting people up for failure and for crappy experiences and a crappy opinion of Apple. And that's this is a product that's so old and so low end by today's standards, they shouldn't be selling it at all. And if they can't sell the Apple Watch SE for a cheaper price, I still I think they should still stop selling the Series 3 because it is not a good product to be selling right now. You know, I agree with basically everything you said, but I would hope and I would guess that if they're still going to sell this seemingly ancient watch, that hopefully they would do something on their end to make the experience less crummy. Like maybe they would do some optimizations in the OS to make it faster. Maybe they would make the OS smaller so you don't have to unload everything on your watch in order to do a software update. Again, I'm not really arguing with anything you're saying. I can only hope and assume that there has been work put in to make it better, but who really knows? And, and I still <laughs> I wouldn't agree assume with you that. that <laughs> yeah, no, they're not working on old products like that. I mean, I, what I would pitch for the people listening to this is the, the SE is only 80 bucks more, right? So just buy a knockoff band from Amazon for way less money than <laughs> Apple charges and save money for an extra month and just get the SE. It's like Marco has already outlined. It's so much better a product than the Series 3, and the prices are close enough that... You should just wait a little longer, get a cheap band from Amazon, and get the SE instead. Yeah, because not only is it so much better in lots of ways, it will also last longer because it doesn't have such ancient hardware. Like, for 80 bucks more, you get, I, I think, two- or three-year-old better hardware. than what. Like, it's, it's a pretty big jump in hardware specs, and it's way nicer to use because it's so much faster and has the, has the more modern screen, supports all the more modern watch faces and complications and everything else. So it's, it's just so much better in all those ways. Plus, it will last you longer in software support and in performance. All right, well, I'm sorry, everyone, about Series 3, but, you know, here we are. 
Uh, they did a little bit with uh, Jay Blonick with regard to Fitness Plus. I've been using Fitness Plus a fair bit over the last few months, and I really like it a lot. It's certainly not for everyone, but I quite like it. Um, it's joining 15 new countries later this fall. They will continue to do workouts only in English, or at least that's what they implied, but they will subtitle in six languages. Uh, there will there will be new Pilates workouts, new guided meditations. Uh, there will be workouts to, quote, get you ready for snow season, quote. And then they they did something which was probably the smarter thing to do, but it is not what I wanted them to do. They are now going to do group workouts, and they specifically said it is powered by SharePlay, which is delayed. Uh, but they said you can work out with up to 32 people at once and do this remotely. Unfortunately, they made no mention of doing anything where it's anything like I want to do, which is Aaron and I working out on the same TV, you know, on doing the same workout at the same time on the same TV. That's what I want to do. Uh, and they don't seem to care about that. They want you to buy your own iPad or television or phone or what yeah, have you. Buy, buy a second Apple TV, a second television. It's like having two Xboxes in the house and playing Halo. Exactly. So, <laughs> I still think this is neat, and I know a lot of people that don't do Apple Fitness Plus workouts, but do like other kinds of workouts, like Beachbody workouts, while simultaneously on Zoom or, or Teams or what have you, to like cheer each other on and so on and so forth. That's not personally for me, but I know a lot of people that do it, and so I think this is a very good idea. I think it's a it's a clever use of SharePlay. Unfortunately, it doesn't fix the problem that I have, but you know you can't win them all. At about 1.35, so about 35 minutes into the uh, show, we got the iPhone, and this is uh, presented by Kyan Drance. So we start with the iPhone 13. It has a smaller notch with the front-facing camera mounted way to the left, and according to Twitter, although the notch is is not as wide, it may be taller, question mark? It's hard to tell from the photo. Someone needs to find, like, whatever the specs are they give to case makers or screen protector makers, whatever. It's plausible. If it is taller, it's taller by a very, very tiny amount, maybe a fraction of a millimeter. It's just interesting um, if it actually, if they did actually end up making it taller. It doesn't really make that much of a difference, though. I didn't notice it being taller when I ran the Xcode simulator uh, right before the show. Uh, I did notice it being narrower, like you can see more in the status bar area, uh, but I don't think it's meaningfully, if any, taller. Um, yeah. so they, I, I, mean, they, they, I was kind of surprised that they mentioned that it was narrower in the keynote because it's the type of thing that Apple sometimes just doesn't mention. It's just assume you'll notice because they don't want to draw attention to the notch, but they did. They said, hey, it's a narrower notch. Isn't that great? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Yep. Uh, the colors on this, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. The colors, I, I'm really digging on the colors. They have a nice, like, uh, what is it, like a rose goldy pinky one? The blue, I don't remember the actual terms for the colors, but the blue looks blue. really, really nice. Is it just blue? <laughs> it's okay. called pink, blue, midnight, and starlight, just like last time it said space gray and silver, midnight, and starlight. So, yeah, pink, blue, midnight, starlight, and product red. And wow, is that product red really freaking red? That red looks awesome. It does look good. I'm being told from Jelly that it's Sierra Blue. Was that the Pro that was the Sierra Only Blue, the actually? Pro is being called Sierra okay, Blue. Okay, okay. The, uh, the regular like Mini and, and 13 are just being called Blue. Gotcha, okay. For some reason. Uh, anyways. <laughs> I uh, don't know the, why. The, the, the two lenses on the camera are diagonal instead of vertically oriented. Which I, which I think looks better. Um, one, one question about the camera thing, and we'll talk more about this with the Pros, is the little plateau that they're on bigger, and do they stick out more overall from the phone? I couldn't quite tell with the the you know non pro models. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, we'll get to the pro later. But when when they when they showed the pro, they leaned way into how giant the camera plateau is. 
Like they, they're like, look, this is just going to be what we're talking about the whole time. Like the, the way they shot it, like with the video, almost like it was a mountain that they were approaching. Like they, they just, I think the, the camera area on these phones is going to look massive on pretty much all of them. And especially the pros. And I think they're just, they're just leaning way into that and just saying, yeah, you know what, that, you know, this is, this is why we're all here, isn't it? Like you don't care that we made the CPU <laughs> faster. You don't care that we have new colors. You care about the camera, right? Well, here, we're going to give you the camera. Like, really, really big. <laughs> I mean, you would you would have thought from the intro video where they're like doing CG flybys of the, of the phone. And again, this is more true of the Pro. You would have thought that they were introducing a new camera because it was like all the flybys were flying around the camera. It's like, oh, and by the way, there's a phone attached to this camera. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of the case? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, a, a little bit. The camera is super important, but I mean, it mostly because we yeah. already well, know. Well, especially this year. Like it seemed like this year also, like most of the uh, improvements this year to the iPhone seem to be camera improvements. It seems like the the improvements to the rest of the product line are, are not nearly as significant. Well, they're harder to demo. I mean, we'll get the promotion in a little bit for the pros, but like you can't really demo that in a thirty frame per second video on the web. Although, <laughs> in, speaking of speaking of the small notch, I'm looking at the video where they show a, they actually show a it's not a screen protector. They're they're trying to say like oh and you know whatever the what do they call the thing on top of the screen? Do they call it a crystal? Whatever. The protective layer. Oh, shoot. The ceramic on, shield, I believe, yeah, is what right. they so they, it. So they show that sort of like landing on the phone, but it looks a lot like a screen protector does. And you'll notice in the ceramic shield, there's a little cutout for the earpiece speaker that, as you mentioned in the last show, is shoved way to the top. So that is that is apparently where the speaker is. It is very close to the top of this phone. And so I would... And the reason, part of the reason I'm asking about the camera bump is I was saying last week, oh, be careful if you buy a case that has a lip over it because the lip might, might partially cover that speaker. And it's very easy to accidentally blunt the sound from these tiny speakers if you cover any part of them, right? But if the camera plateau on the back is different in any way, you know, like if it's larger or smaller or positioned differently, that's, that means you're not going to be sharing cases with the 12. And so you, it's presumably if you have a dedicated 13 case, Hopefully the case manufacturers were smart enough not to cover the speaker. <laughs> One would hope. So sticking with the 13 non-pro, there's also an iPhone 13 mini, which appears, as far as I know, to be identical other than size to the 13, which is great. Um, they specifically said the competition is still playing catch-up from two years ago with regard to the A15. And speaking of the A15, this was presented by Hope Giles, uh, six core, two high performance for efficiency, a four core GPU, a 16 core neural engine, which will roll 15.8 trillion operations per second. And then it has two times the system cache. Now I'm, my memory stinks, but wasn't one of the things we decided about, maybe it was the M1, maybe it was the A14, was that part of the reason it was so damn fast is because it had a tremendous amount of system cache or am I making that up? No, that's that's correct. I, I think it depends also, like what you know, what level. It's like you know, is this L two, is this L three? I don't know. But um, most of the people who know more about this stuff, who've analyzed like what makes the the M one so fast, um, having a, a lot of cash on chip uh, has been a, a lot of the performance has been attributed to that. So if they're doubling one of the caches on the chip, that's a pretty significant thing. Well, they got more cores. Like that, part the, the the main thing that makes these A chip series chips fast is they can get instructions from they can get data instructions from memory very efficiently because it's high bandwidth, and they can dispatch a bunch of them uh, simultaneously. Like you know, they, I forget how wide the dispatching is, but it was like wider than Intel chips because for Intel for Intel chips for the x86 going more than I forget what the number is I'm sorry I'm getting this wrong maybe it's like 60 coders or something there's no point in getting more of them just because of the dependencies and the variable instruction size whereas 
uh, Apple's A series chips and the M series chips can get tons of data and instructions and send them all through the cores at once. Like it can keep the engine fed because usually what slows down chips is not like, oh, this chip isn't fast enough to do a computation. It's There's nothing for it to do. I'm an adder. I'm ready to add two numbers together. Who's got two numbers for me to add? And it's like, ah, sorry. <laughs> there's not that many instructions that we can pull and decode and shove down into you. So you're starved a little bit because we've got a data dependency and, you know, reorder buffers and all that other stuff. So having a- Apple's architecture and its instruction set and everything is is tailored to be able to essentially get more stuff. If you think of like meat going through a grinding machine, they can get more stuff in there and just send it through. And so you've got more cores and that's not, you know, it's not 40 cores, but six is more than, you know, six is more than they had last year, right? You need to keep them fed. And if you want to keep them fed, more cores also means an increase in the amount of cash. Now what they said, it's two times the amount of cash, which is way larger increase than the increase in the core count. But the core count alone probably means that you want to have more cash just so, uh, your, you know, your extra cores aren't fighting for cash space with the, you know, with the core, same number of cores as you had last year. So um, the the A15, the and also I saw a lot of stuff, rumors about the A15 and thermal throttling and everything. And, you know, every one of these phone ships thermal throttle because they're in a phone and there's no fan and they get hot playing games and so on and so forth. But as we get higher and higher end chips, unless we have, uh, you know, and this is a shrink, right? So last year was seven nanometers, right? And this is five. I think the A14 and the M1 were also five. I, we yeah, had, maybe I they're this also up. five. I, yeah, I, I had first heard that, but I, I think on confirmation, I think that it's actually not a shrink. Well, anyway, but when you have something like this where you're cranking up the core count, uh, you can't just run all those all the time because you'll heat alone is going to be a problem. So the, the name of the game is always you have these facilities available for you for burst performance, but then you chill back out and you go in your efficiency cores and stuff like that. And so um, this... This A15 is probably capable of draining a battery faster, which is why these phones have bigger batteries, like actually physically bigger batteries, um, which, you know, hopefully give us, you know, we'll talk about the battery life plans in a little bit. But if you cranked up everything on these, like you played a game that used all the GPU cores and all the CPU cores, they will produce a huge amount of heat and suck down a huge amount of power. Um, But if you're not playing a game, that horsepower is there just waiting for you in tiny little bursts, but most of the time to be able to make it through the day, you're not even close to tapping into them. That's also where the caching comes in handy, which is like, oh, just we, we have data that, a data set that can fit in cache and we will nibble away at it with our efficiency cores and everything will be chill. Oh, but by the way, we do actually have to put a physically larger battery in these things because if we do crank up all the machinery we put in them, uh, we will eat power. So You'll be doomed. Yeah, so I, I think... It's kind of weird what they do with the, we keep calling it the S generation, but like where they don't change the outside case, it's more or less looks the same, you know, even if the camera bumps change slightly, but they do change the internals. And Apple made this point in the presentation. It's not like they take the internals and like mildly tweak them. If you look at what's inside this phone, it really doesn't have any bearing on what was inside the previous phone, right? It's a new motherboard, it's a new battery, it's a new camera system. Like it's inside is all new stuff. On the outside, I know it looks the same. But inside, it might as well be an entirely different phone. So don't just think of this as like, oh, it's just like the it's just like the 12, but a little bit better. I mean, that's kind of true, but it's not like they took the 12 and like replace one small component. This is an all new phone on the inside. It's just that on the outside, it looks the same. So the, the, and I'll also say like the, the 13, like the 12, this is the this is the phone to get, right? If you don't care about the pro features, which you honestly you probably shouldn't, despite what Apple said in their marketing materials, we'll get to that in a little bit. 
And despite what we're going to talk about in just yeah. a second. Um, the 13, it, it has the, the matte finish aluminum that a lot of people like better than the finish on the Pro ones. I think it's slightly lighter. It has the, same, system, it has the same system on the chip as the, the supposed Pro one. It has one fewer camera. So like if that well, hold matters on. to you. It doesn't have the same system on chip as the Pro one. The Pro one has more GPU cores. It has uh, the Pro has five, and the Mini and, and thirteen have have four. So it's not a huge difference. I wonder if that's a you know it has five, but one of them is one of them is dead or whatever. But probably. But anyway, like you won't that won't make a difference in your life. Like, I promise yeah. you. Like <laughs> this is that this this thing that this change they made with the with the twelve of basically making the twelve, you know, not feel like a step down from the twelve Pro was so smart. And this these phones are so good. Uh, I you know. I, if, I, if I was getting one, which I'm not, I you know I I would get the pro because I'm silly, right? But I'm so <laughs> glad this phone exists, and I'm so glad that this is the one without any qualifiers. It's just iPhone 13. If you want in the store and you get the iPhone 13, you will come away with a really good phone. Um, I'm 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 very happy with this product this year. Yeah. Some real time follow up, by the way. Um, the A14 was also uh, five nanometers. Uh, just like the A15, and the A14 was also um, two performance cores and four efficiency cores. Uh, so it, generally, it it doesn't... Oh, and it was also four cores of a GPU, so same as this, uh, except for the Pro phones. Oh, I thought they had added cores. Though. No, they didn't. It's, it's So the, 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 um, you know, the basic metrics you know, of the iPhone or the, the A15 processor of like how many cores it has, what process it's manufactured on, it, those are all matching still from the A14. So I'm sure it is better but again, I, I think this this further supports that this might not be that much of a processor jump this year. It might be, you know, possibly like single digit percentage faster in certain things, you know, maybe like, you know, 10 or 15 percent at, at best in certain things. But we're not talking about a, a massive thing here. Now, they did, the, you know, the, the non-CPU parts of the system on a chip. They did a whole bunch of stuff there with like video encoders and decoders and stuff like that. Yeah, this is the neural engine, the 16 core neural engine. Is that an increase in cores, maybe? No, it's not. 16 cores in the A14. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the cores are probably different, but I don't know if yeah, they're yeah. that different. This definitely explains the battery life claims later because, yeah, they did put a bigger battery in there, but if they were, all right, so that's, so forget about all that stuff with the more cores. It's just plain <laughs> old, they put a bigger battery in the thing. Yeah, it's, it seems like, that you know they've they've done some stuff obviously we'll see you know as we get these things in our hands eventually and people do some testing we'll see like what's actually better about it uh relative to the a14 but again i, I would expect this is a, a very small year for the chip um, and and a big year in other areas like the camera but the chip is not a reason to buy these phones right now so i do wonder if uh the m2 sorry to talk about mac stuff but if the m2 is going to use a15 cores how much of a difference it will make like how much of it, how much of an upgrade over the M1 will the M2 be? Uh, if it if it also has the same if it has the same number of cores as the M1. In other words, if you just take the M1, more or less the same core counts everywhere, but upgrade them to the A15 versions of those cores, uh, would it would it be a big upgrade? Because I was you know, or maybe the M2 is on a different path. We don't know. The M2 is not a real thing that exists yet. But like, I'm I'm going to be very interested to see the benchmarks. Like you mentioned before, that Apple was always comparing to their competitors or you know, the three-year-old chip that's in the, the cheap iPad or whatever. Um, and we dismissed that as like, oh, it's it's uh, not interesting for you to compare the competitors. But it's only because we all know the competitors suck compared to Apple's chips. Like yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a quote-unquote unfair, uninformative com- comparison. It's like, yeah, but 
non-Apple chips suck. That's not telling me anything. What I want to know is how much faster are you than the previous best Apple thing? And if that number is not big enough, I'm going to be disappointed or whatever. But, um, you know, the A15 is not a slow chip. Presumably it is faster than the A14, uh, even if all of the components have the same number of counts. Uh, Percentage-wise, kind of with Marco, that I would be shocked if anything is more than 15% faster, even in artificial benchmarks. But that's that's honestly plenty. Um, what people want from their phone is I is not like I wish the CPU was faster. It's they want it the battery last longer, <laughs> and it seems like they have solved that problem by including a bigger battery. It seems so. Now we should talk about the 13 camera, not the Pro, but the 13 camera. The wide camera, which is their like standard camera, is quote the biggest sensor we've ever put in our dual camera system. Quote it allows 50% more light. It's f1.6. Uh, it has the sensor shift stabilization uh, that was coming off the uh, 12 Max. Is that right? Correct. It, okay. Uh, and it was unclear to me which lenses on which on which phones. I almost said which cameras. Which lenses on which phones uh, have this stabilization? But at least the wide or standard camera on the 13 definitely does. The ultra-wide, uh, they said it's going to be a lot better. And then they introduced cinematic mode for video, which I, I don't know. I'm happy to do a chief summarizer-in-chief summary of this, but if you guys got a better read on this, on the technical details of this, I'm happy to step aside and let you handle it. Yeah, I think from what I've been able to surmise, it's, it's what we talked about in the rumors last episode, like, oh, imagine portrait mode, but instead of it being done for photograph, done for video. And it seems similar to that, right? So... It is apparently capturing depth information along with the video. And then once you have that depth information, you can, after the fact, after you've recorded the video, decide which things you want it to blur because it understands what is in front of what because it has depth information. Uh, and the stuff that they showed, they showed like the rack focus and, you know, the focusing on different things, right? Obviously, you can do that while you're recording, but then even you can change it after the fact. But it's it's not... It's not like focusing like you would by twisting a lens or whatever. It is doing the portrait mode blur business where because it understands the depth of the photo, uh, the depth of the video in some way, it can blur. And it has the same, I would assume, exactly the same weaknesses, although maybe better for year over year in terms of finding the edges of the hair and ears and, you know, the the little triangle between your elbow and your body when you put your hands on your hips and all, all the problems that portrait mode has had of trying to figure stuff out. Presumably powered by LiDAR now. Well, not LiDAR on these ones, I guess, but on the Pro it has LiDAR. Um, but like, I mean, it gets better every year at not blurring off people's ears and stuff. But still, I don't expect miracles out of this. And, and the final thing that I was kind of disappointed to hear is, although it makes sense, you know, previously we were doing portrait mode, you take a picture and it does the depth information and, you know, blurs and so on and so forth. Now it's got to do that in video. Isn't that so much harder? It is. Uh, and that is probably why, at least on the 13, I know, I think on the 13 Pro as well, this thing, cinematic mode, is limited to 1080p 30 frames per second. Oh. Yeah, that's a bummer. It's on the it's on the iPhone 13 Pro specs page. That's it, right? So no 4K, no 120 frames per second, no nothing like that. And it's presumably because that's the rate at which it can, you know, handle gathering the depth information, right? Because, I mean, I, I guess it needs to render it in frame as well. I'm not sure what the limiting factor is, whether it's I, we can't collect depth information at more than 30 frames per second, or we can't render in real time the effect that we need to, we can't do the blur in real time uh, based on the depth information. But anyway, that's a pretty big limitation that shows that this feature is really pushing the limits of the, the tech they have in these, in these phones. 
Yeah, and honestly, like the the pic, the the example they showed, I don't. I think it looks weird. <laughs> like, it, is it just me? Like, I even the one that they showed like before they said, and that's and we actually shot that video that you just saw with it. Even that, I, I when when the when the focus changes from something in the foreground to something in the background, the way it changes looks weird to me. Like it, it looks both too fast of a change, and it looks like it kind of passes the point where it should go, and then kind of pops back. I, I think it's kind of doing that on purpose to make it seem like oh, a human is, is a human is twisting a lens or being a focus puller. Well, I think a focus puller wouldn't screw that up, but like a regular non professional human twisting the the lens of a camera to manually change focus, it's very easy to overshoot and then come back a little right, bit. Right? Yeah. But yeah, I so but, see, you, it looks more like focus hunting, like when a camera's doing contrast. <laughs> no, like no, that's that's what they call it when cameras do um, contrast autofocus, and like it like passes the optimal point and then backs off back to the back to, back to the optimal point. It looked like that, and so it not only did it look weird, but even again, like even the rate at which it was changing, it looked like a mistake not like and, and it looked unnatural like i don't know it, to me like maybe i'm just picky about this kind of stuff because i'm i don't even look i don't know anything about video i've never pulled focus <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> i don't like i don't know anything about making videos but i know when something looks right and doesn't look right and it didn't look right to me and yeah, it, I mean, even it's, beyond it's not, blurring off people's hair yeah it's not it's not the, quite the same as optical focusing although they do the best they can with the depth information if you notice the scene they did was like people in kind of like a dark mansion indoors which the sort of darkish background probably hides the sins of the edge finding algorithm you know what i mean like it's it's a it's like when you do special effects and you make it all dark because if it was a sunny day you'd see how bad your cg is back in you know back <laughs> in the day um so i i think they're doing the best they can with the the stuff that's available to them but uh, yeah, I, it, with the hunting, like, they tried to show, like, look, our phone will figure out, like, oh, when you hold the thing up really close to the camera, it will focus on that, and when you put it down, it will focus on the thing behind it. That's a thing that, quote-unquote, real cameras, like YouTubers use or whatever, like the the new, the, the what is it, the A7S3, or I don't get the stupid Yeah, I think so. Wrong. Yeah, anyway, um, that's a feature of those cameras, but those cameras are actually changing focus, as in a big you know thing with glass in it is twisting and changing right that's what it's actually doing but it does it in response to the hey if i hold up this product outstretched in my arm my youtuber camera will focus on it but then when i put the product back down on the on the table it will focus on my face again that's what the iphone is doing only it's not changing focus it is just blurring stuff out based on depth information that it's gathering which is a neat trick but still not quite what people want out of their cameras and and I guess we'll. This isn't this isn't the thing where they had Catherine, Catherine Bigelow come out, right? So I guess we'll talk about that later. But um, but anyway, it's cool that it can do this at all, and improved cameras are appreciated. And the iPhone does shoot really good video, but I think you know bringing portrait mode to video, I have the same sort of position on it as I have on portrait mode, which is it's not a feature that I find interesting. But I'm not in the majority because I see a lot of people who use portrait mode for like all their pictures and they love it. So. I think, you know, people are not as picky as, as Marco and I. 
<laughs> I think it looks interesting. I don't know if I would use it very often, uh, especially because I would want the higher fidelity video, but I think it's cool. And presumably next year we will get the higher fidelity video, but we'll see. Uh, like we said, battery life is better. The mini gets one and a half more hours. Supposedly the 13 gets two and a half more hours. Uh, it uses smart data like like this year's phones, or I'm sorry, uh, the 2020 edition phones do. So it'll it'll only use LTE when 5G is necessary. Uh, they made a point of uh, hey, this uses MagSafe, including a new leather wallet that includes Find My. So when it slides off because it's only connected by magnets, then you can find it, which I thought was quite funny. Well, I guess this is not the solution to the problem with this product. Oh, we have a wallet product that connects to the back of your phone with a magnet. And guess what? It's pretty easy to knock it off. And no one wants to lose their wallet. How can we solve this problem? Let's think, everybody. What can we do? Hmm, hmm. Oh, I know. Let's put a thing in it that lets people find it after you. No, make it so it doesn't get lost. You know how it won't get lost if you make an actual wallet case that wraps around your entire phone. Do lots of people who have wallet cases for their phone constantly say, oh, no, the wallet case fell off my phone again and I lost my wallet. No, it never falls off. It's like they're on there like a death grip. It's a pain to get your phone out of them because it wraps around the edges of the entire phone and it becomes, oh, this wallet product <laughs> like it amazes me that someone had this meeting i was like i know how we can solve this we've got these amazing what is it what are those things called that you find your bike with marco i've already forgotten air tags air tags <laughs> right we've got this amazing air tag tech what if you put an air tag in our overpriced magnetic wallet thing that way when it when it accidentally falls off people might find it no no apple stop leave it <laughs> like what are they what are they doing over there oh god this hurts me to think about it's 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 interesting, I, and it can't be an AirTag because there's no battery yeah, no, spot. I, so I, I don't I, know what whatever is, they're doing, whatever technology they're doing. That's not the solution. Like making it easier to find my wallet after I lose it. I don't want to lose it. I don't want it to fall off the back of my phone. It's a bad product. It's funny. <laughs> so thirteen mini six ninety nine thirteen is seven ninety nine. They said that you can get up to seven hundred dollars off if you trade in a quote qualifying quote iPhone. They doubled the default storage capacity from sixty four gigs to one hundred twenty eight, which is great, and uh, you can get a half terabyte, which is pretty cool. And you forgot to mention uh, the five G. More bands in more places. This is as close mm -hmm. as we got to any kind of mild confirmation of the idea that if there are <laughs> bands for that used to be used for satellite communication that were reallocated to five G, and that Apple's new modems can use them. I don't know if that's related to this, but they did say more bands. And, they, and and importantly, they didn't say anything about satellites. So if you, in case you're wondering if the new iPhones have any satellite stuff, they do not. Yeah, they probably would have mentioned that. Yeah, I would think so. iPhone 13 Pro. This is uh, what I'm going to be getting, I think, because I, again, believe in rampant consumerism. So there are three cameras, just like before. There. Before you get to that, do the, do the weight stuff, because now it's the time to talk about weights. Oh, okay. They're all slightly heavier than last year. Exactly. Like not not just the pros, but they're all a little bit heavier. And I assume that's like bigger battery and battery is pretty dense and heavy part yep. of it. I don't I don't know where the weight is coming. Now in the grand scheme of things, we're talking like, you know, 10, 20 grams, right? But they are getting heavier and the previous year's phones weren't particularly light, like they feel big and dense. It's the type of thing that once you get the phone and it becomes your phone, you just get used to it and you don't notice it anymore. But if you do this every year, if you have like a 10, 15 gram increase every year, eventually you have some kind of problems. I don't think they're in the problem zone yet, but just FYI, these are a tiny little bit heavier across the board, all the phones. Like the, the 13 is about 10 grams heavier than the 12 was. The 13 Pro is about like 13, 14 grams heavier than the 12 Pro was. Like that's that's the range these things are in. So, you know, that that, and then I guess we can talk about the camera bump, which is the next thing that is not heavier, but larger on the 13 Pro. 
Yeah, so the cameras... Um, oh, actually, we should also talk about colors very quickly. We've got Sierra Blue, as previously mentioned, which I think looks freaking good. It's a very, very light blue. I, I really like the Midnight Blue of my 12 Pro, but I think this looks excellent as well. Uh, so Sierra Blue, Silver Gold, and Graphite. And I actually think the Graphite looks pretty good, too. It's a, a lighter gray than, like, one of the space grays or blacks or whatever, the you know black du jour. Not that you'll ever see it, Casey, because you're going to have a case on this. You are damn right I'm going to have a case <laughs> on this. You can get a clear case I guess. Although actually that said, uh, I forgive me, I forget who it was in the chat, but somebody in the chat was pointing out that with Apple Care Plus, if you purchase it today or later, so this is no good for my Apple Care Plus that I purchased a year ago. But if you purchase Apple Care Plus today or later, a back glass replacement is 30 bucks instead of a hundred. Which good. is news to me. That is pretty good. And it's making me wonder if I should go caseless, caseless again. But we'll argue about that another time because oh, God. 30 bucks is not that bad. But I think, especially when their cases are like 50, 60, 70 bucks, but whatever. I think you're right that I think I will go, I will put a case on this because I'm trying to learn from my mistakes of two consecutive years, I should add. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the Sierra Blue looks darn good, which I unfortunately will never see. It does look really good. I'm, I'm curious with the Sierra Blue. Um, if you if you recall the way Jaws was describing, he 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 mentioned that there's like special ceramic particles mm, that are in mm-hmm. like just the ceram- just the Sierra Blue color. Like there's something special about that coating or paint or whatever it is. Like there's something special about that that is different from the others in its makeup besides just the color that it is. So I'm curious if it will actually look noticeably different or if it just looks like a light blue case. I'm also curious. You know, one one of the um, major downsides of last year's Pro line was just how incredibly fingerprinty those those steel case bands would get. And on the dark blue phone, you saw every single fingerprint that ever touched that thing. So maybe by making the blue lighter and by putting magic particles in the finish or something, maybe that makes it less <laughs> fingerprinty. Oh, that's very good. Magic particles. I like that. Um, actually, before we get to the camera, I keep trying to bring up the cameras, but before we get there, um, I should also note that we have the finally arrival of the high uh, frame rate display. We get a 120 hertz ProMotion display. This is something that I personally have not felt like I'm missing out on. I don't even feel like I noticed it that much my iPad Pro, truth be told, but maybe I'm just not discerning enough. One way or another, I, I think it's great to have it. I wonder and hope that the variable refresh rate that certainly comes from these displays, if maybe that helps with efficiency and battery life, because they were saying, you know, hey, when we don't need 60 hertz, which is a default on older phones, We'll just refresh it, you know, 10 hertz or whatever the case may be. Yeah, the t- 10 was the minimum instead of the watch. The watch does, what, 1 hertz? I believe that's right. It's interesting. I mean, obviously, we didn't get the always on screen on these phones either, so maybe 10 hertz is sufficient, but it's interesting they didn't crank it all the way down to 1. Yeah, I'm sure there's some electrical reason for that, but I mean, I'm sure it's going, you know, like everything else with weird OLED power saving tricks, it's going to probably depend a lot on what you are doing on the phone. <laughs> like, this might save a lot if you, if you like, you know, just have the phone sitting on a table with the screen on that you like left it on for a while. Or you're just like reading Twitter when you're not scrolling. That's 10 Hertz. That's true. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. Cause like, you know, you might think like, Oh, I'm constantly touching my phone, but you, you know, you probably like scroll it and then stop for even, even if you're stopping for a quarter second. Yeah. As, as far as the computer is concerned, it's like, like, you know, billions of CPU cycles and, and <laughs> right. dozens or hundreds of uh, potential screen refreshes for all you read that one tweet. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's like, like an overcast. That's how smart speed works. It doesn't work by cutting out 
long pauses only it cuts out all the pauses or reduces them you know proportionally but like it even small pauses in the middle of words might be long enough for it to trim them down a little bit and you know like and you don't realize how much it actually saves because you don't think of words as having silences inside of them but they do and similar to this like you know i, I think you're right john that like as you're scrolling through something you you know you scroll stop scroll stop scroll stop and all those stops you can save time there. You can save frames there. And all that will add up, you know, probably not to massive battery gains, but some battery gain. I did want to mention um, the screens on both the Pro and the regular iPhone 13 have gotten significantly brighter. Uh, the max oh, brightness is up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're, they're both up to, uh, see, the, the 13 and Mini are up to, I believe, 800 nits sustained brightness. And the Max and the regular Pro are up to 1,000 nits sustained brightness. And then they each can peak up to 1,200 for, um, for HDR stuff. For HDR. Mm-hmm. I actually occasionally watch television shows on my phone just because I'm downstairs and too lazy to go get the iPad or whatever. It's a really good screen. It's OLED. It's got good. It's got good blacks. Like you know, and if you if the show you're watching is HDR, uh, it shows off pretty well. So making that even better. Like yeah, this is a good screen. All right, the camera system. It is the biggest camera advancement ever. Supposedly, it's a it's the biggest camera ever. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's it's, speaking of you going caseless. I don't know how this thing was going is going to sit on the the table without a case because if you look at it from the profile and they showed it in the keynote. So there's a little plateau that is like, oh, it's like the back glass of your phone puckers up a little bit, right? So that's the plateau. Then on top of the plateau, you've got the silver discs that define the cameras. Then poking out of the silver discs, you have the black (laughs) discs. And all of those things, the plateau, it looks like the silver and the black, they're all slightly bigger than they used to be. And so you add them all together and you get a mighty camera bump, which makes me think (laughs) like I, I saw... On a YouTube video, like an iPhone 14 rumors, and like, oh, flush cameras in the back of the iPhone 14. Like, really? We're going to go from the biggest camera bump that we've ever had on an mm-hmm, iPhone mm-hmm. in one generation to flat? Maybe. I mean, hey, it's a generational leap. Like, that's what we do. But anyway, this is a big camera bump. And I, I like it affects not just how it's how this camera, uh, how this phone would feel if you put it on a table without a case on it, right? But it also affects the cases that are designed for this because they also have to have an even bigger and more prominent lip if they want, when you put it down on the table, for the case to contact the table and not the lenses of your cameras, right? Uh, And gone are the days where, like, the thickness of the case would be sufficient to, like, to make the bottom surface of the phone flat. Like, I suppose you can still do that, but that would be a pretty thick case. Like, again, look at this in the keynote in profile. I guess I should, I should have done some like millimeter measurement to figure like uh, what per, what percentage of the thickness of the body of the phone is the camera bump. It looks like more than half, right? <laughs> it is very big. Um, and I think, honestly, this is the correct trade-off for this device because people love to take pictures with their phone. And if you can make this camera better, by all means, make it thicker. I'm just saying that this is, I, I feel like it's more... It's more of an issue in the, not in the thickness of the design, but when you look at the phone from the back, uh, it looks to me like the actual size of the rounded rectangle that contains the three camera lenses is also bigger than it was. It looks like At it, this yeah. point, it is more than half, like it's, it's starting to look disproportionate. It's starting to look kind of like that idea that you're going to put the cameras in the upper left corner of the phone. It's not in the upper left corner anymore. It's just taking over the whole top of the phone and so it's like maybe should we should we center this should we think about 
not doing them in like a triangle design? Should they be in a line? Should we just take up the whole top third of the phone? I'm really interested to see what the next, like the iPhone 14, the next physical design of the phone does because I think we have exhausted this design of reserve the corner of the back of the phone for the camera. It has outgrown the corner. It is now, it's <laughs> taking over. It's like all those parody shots where they show like 100 little cameras on the back of the phone. Um, and again, I don't think that's the wrong decision. Lots of other phones from other manufacturers do this. They essentially dedicate the entire top half or a third of the the thing, or they have a big line of cameras that go horizontally or vertically. Like, this is a problem that every smartphone manufacturer is facing. Apple is just not quite ready to face the music, so they have put out what I think is a little bit, a little bit of an unbalanced design for the Pro Phone, and that like the bump is a little bit too thick for this design, and the plateau is a little bit too big and the cases cases make it look a little bit unbalanced um i'm sure no one will really care about this because all people care about is that it takes better pictures and this thing looks like it does i just think we are we are at the end of this evolutionary stage and it's time to try something else next year yeah i i don't disagree however i am really excited about this new camera system i I am really stoked for the 3X optical zoom telephoto. I think that's going to be great. If there's anywhere that I feel like my iPhone really falls down is if is if I'm not close to my subject. And especially when you have kids or dogs or whatever, oftentimes you can't or can't quickly or conveniently get close to your subject. And so to have a telephoto at all is really helpful for me anyway. And to have a 3X optical, I think, is going to be great. So I'm really excited about that. Before I move on, Marco, thoughts on the uh, telephoto? As somebody who has not had a, a more than 1X lens for the last year, um, I do miss the telephoto. I have the same issue that, like, the, the limit of whether I can use my iPhone to reasonably get a shot usually is not, do I have enough megapixels? Usually the limit is, do I have enough reach optically? Like that, that is by far like the, literally this morning there was, I wanted to take a picture of, there was like a, a cool looking sailboat off in the distance on the water. And I was pretty far from it. And I tried getting a picture of my iPhone and you just couldn't see it. Like I had, I had to like bust out the Sony with its 90 millimeter lens and take a picture that way. Um, the three X lens on this is 77 millimeter equivalent. <laughs> That's pretty great. Uh, the only thing that gives me significant pause here is that in the past, the telephoto lenses for the cameras have been substantially less light gathering. They've had you know much higher F numbers, um, and, and they gather less light, and therefore their pictures have tended to be um, duller and more noisy or more blurry after processing because they, they need to amp up the ISO in order to get enough light in there. Um, and... This has gotten worse in this respect. The telephoto, uh, you know, so the uh, the other cameras have all gotten like universally better. Like they've been they've been great, awesome. Um, the two X lens of most of them, though, is a little bit of a different story. Um, the the two X, so the 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 wide, like the, the quote one X. I'm just gonna I'm not gonna use their stupid terms of wide being one X. All right, so the one X camera last year it was f one point six. Uh, on the pro line and this year it's f1.5 that's good that's more light the lower number means more light coming in more light coming in means it can have less noise better colors etc okay good um the telephoto in the 12 pro was f2.0 
That's the 2X on the 12 Pro. Oh, interesting. The 12 Pro Max had that 2.5X camera, and that went from f2.0 on, on the 2X to f2.2 for the 2.5X. So the 2.5X camera was actually a little bit worse of, of a lens in terms of how much light it let in, but it was zoomed in more. The new 3X cameras are f2.8. That's from 2.2 to 2.8. It's a big jump. So what this means is that the telephoto camera, uh, I think 2.0 to 2.8, I think is one stop or maybe one and a half stop. Anyway, what that means is that the 3X lens lets in substantially less light than last year's 2X or 2.5X cameras did. And so what that's likely to yield is significantly duller pictures. Uh, You're not going to be able to use that lens uh, you know, in low light very well. Um, what the iPhone cameras have, have always done ever since there was more than one lens is in low light, because the like one X camera always had the best optics in low light, even if you'd zoom into two X, it would kick back and actually use the one X camera and just digital crop out the middle and make that your two X picture. I expect that to be the case here as well. Not only because it can't even use the three X camera unless you are actually zoomed into three X so that you're like, you have more more of a gap between the two. But also, the 3X camera is so optically much worse than the 1X camera. It's, it's a bigger gap this year in terms of how good those two are relative to each other than, than there's ever been. Well, well the, th- the 3X one, though, like you made it sound like you're going to have duller pictures, but like if you're a your sailboat example, if it's a sunny day, don't worry about it. It will be fine. Like F2.8 on a bright, sunny day of taking a picture of a sailboat out on the water, you're going to be fine. It's once you're indoors... Or I mean, not even night, just indoors, like with just indoor lighting or in like a dimly lit restaurant or, of course, anything at night. Uh, yeah, you're probably going to be hurting and it will fall back to the 1X lens. But for the applications that I imagine people need optical zoom, like it's not in a crowded bar at night where you need the 3X zoom, probably, right? It's going to be, oh, my kid is far away from me on the soccer field or something. Or I want to get a picture of that bird in the tree or that sailboat on the water. And in those scenarios, you probably have adequate light. And I think this is the right trade-off. To, and this is generally true of most like zoom lenses for quote-unquote real cameras. They gather less light, right? So you have you know some you know 750 millimeter lens. It's not going to be f 1.2 probably, right? It's, you know you're it, you're going to lose light uh, just for the the lens elements alone. <laughs> the size of a car. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so I think, like, despite going down in the light gathering ability, I think it is well worth that trade-off for 3x optical zoom. I think you're probably right, but I do think, like, for people who get this phone, which I might be one of them, we'll see. But you know, if for people who get this phone, oh, interesting. I think the uh, I think the lower quality of the lens on the 3x will be noticeable during the lifetime of you having this phone. It might not be noticeable all the time, just like the 2X camera often isn't noticeable, but that will be noticeable sometimes, and, and that is something worth pointing out. Um, that being said, uh, they've, they've done so many other optical upgrades on this camera system uh, that I'm sure Casey's about to cover, but basically, like, I am, I'm very excited about this camera system, and even though the 3X camera is f2.8, which scares the crap out of me in terms of what that means for noise, um, I, I think the utility alone of that uh, would, would be pretty great. Yeah, yeah, no argument here. And so the ultra-wide lens, which is the one that is shared with the 13, but is not the standard lens. This is like the, what do they call it, one half x? Yeah, the 0.5x lens. Yep, uh, f1.8. And it now supports macro photography at a minimum distance of two centimeters, which is really cool. That's great. Uh, 
yeah, I'm really, I'm really interested. I, I don't feel like that's something I would desire to do often, but it's certainly something I would want to do from time to time. And I really like. You need it when taking pictures of like, uh, you know, labels or using the magnifier thing or whatever. It's like when you want to take a picture oh, good of like point. a good point. The serial number on the bottom of uh, a mouse, let's say, maybe we'll talk about that next week. Um, <laughs> oh, no. and you, and you, and you see your uh, your phone like focus hunting of saying like oh I can't it's all blurry or whatever. No, that's having just doing actual, cinema mode. Yeah, <laughs> having <laughs> having a, something's actually capable of focusing at macro type distances of two centimeters solves that problem. And I really hope I really hope that the phone like defaults to the the ultra wide when it realizes you're trying to take a picture of something that close because that's exactly what this is great for. So that's uh, f1.8, which is pretty freaking big in my personal opinion. But then. The wide or 1x lens, f1.5, which is, to my eyes, and Marco, correct me when you're ready, but that is that is impressive. I mean, I'm looking at, I happen to have my, my quote-unquote big camera here, which admittedly is not the fanciest camera in the world, but I have a pretty nice prime lens on it right now, and it goes up to f1.4. And this lens was like an $800 lens or something like that. So here it is, the 1x lens on the iPhone uh, 13 Pro. F1.5, not bad. Yeah, well, it, to be fair, it's not directly comparable. Um, when when sensor sizes are different, the the optics of this are are like the way it works is is different depending on the sensor size, and it's it like it's less impressive <laughs> to have a 1.6 aperture on a tiny. When, when your sensor is the smaller than your pinky nail. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's still it's this is still a good thing, but it's it's best to compare it relative to itself like relative to previous iphones not to big cameras that have much bigger sensors and bigger optics and everything else um but this is good you know the the um the 12 line the 1x camera had a 1.6 aperture and now we have 1.5 so we're a little bit better um that's great um and i think is this let me just double check here is this actually yeah so this only applies to the pro phones so last year the camera systems between the non-pro and pro phones were were much more similar than they are this year uh, with the exception, you know, it didn't have the big, the big one, uh, the big uh, 2.5x slash 2x one last year, um, and that there was no, there was only sensor shift stabilization on the Max. But this year, the difference between the 13 and 13 Mini and the 13 Pro and 13 Pro Max is a much bigger difference in camera. This is one of the reasons why I'm probably going to go Pro this year, um, because the the camera difference here is huge and noticeably and noteworthy. Lee, uh, <laughs> there's no difference in the camera system this year between the Max and the midsize Pro. The, it, uh, there's no difference in the phones at all, it seems, except the size of the screen and battery. Like, it's it, everything else about the, the Max versus the regular Pro is the same this year. The way God intended. This is my <laughs> favorite kind of year when I don't have to have a choice between an absurdly oversized phone that has like the 2.5x camera or what have you and the phone that's still probably too big but at least manageable i genuinely am so happy when the among the flagship models anyway when the standard and humongous sizes are equivalent which has happened once or twice in the past but often the ridiculously oversized phone will get some you know new often camera related technology that makes me jealous but i just can't bring myself to get the ridiculously oversized phone so i'm really happy last year it was what sensor shift and the 2.5x correct the max uh, correct. Yep, yep. and so this year, sensor shift made it all the way down to the 13, which is nice. Yes, the 1X camera has sensor shift now on all the phones. Yeah, which is great. Um, the one one major change. So last year, the the Pro, actually, I think just the Pro Max 
had a larger sensor that had larger pixels, and that's great for yes. light gathering. Mm-hmm. You you want that? Like larger sen- larger pixels means more light hits each one, and so it's a similar thing as you know having more light coming through the lens of like this helps you have lower isos lets you get faster sharper shots with better contrast and less noise great okay so this year that those large the larger sensor that was in the 12 pro max last year now is in all the 1x cameras but the pro cameras only this year now their sensor got even bigger <laughs> so the um the the uh big sensor from last year that's now on all the, the that's now on the non-pro models is 1.7 uh micrometer i believe is the unit the, the little u thing that's micrometer right i th- most people pronounce it micrometer i believe but yes oh, yeah okay yeah affluent um so anyway, Do i have that right no now now i'm doubting myself maybe i'm wrong right, it's so a micrometer is a thing you use to measure that that's why i was doubting myself you're right okay uh, see i i take it all back we'll I fix it i don't know post. how to say metric terms so. i'm just gonna say um because it looks like a, it looks like it's you know um <laughs> that somebody just kind of drooled <laughs> off the end of the u anyway so the so the uh, last year was it was 1.5 1.7 um pixels uh and this year it's 1.9 on the pro models um so the, the pixels got even bigger which means the sensor got even bigger and this is great news for image quality. Again, more light hitting the pixels makes better pictures. So this is great. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say pixels. They're, they're, I don't think they're actually pixels, are they? Like the, the sensor sites? Anyway, p- light buckets, whatever they are. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're like making those bigger and making the, so the sensor's bigger. The, le- the lens aperture is wider open. Like you get more light in. The, stabil- the stabilization is better on all of them. Like, this is a massive camera upgrade. And then to throw in a 3X lens, whew, this this is very tempting. And this, the camera is what is, right now, my, my current plan is to go pro, even though I lo- I've loved the, boy. I've loved the mini size so much this past year. Like, physically, I just love the size. I love the weight. But that's a huge camera upgrade. And the fact that I don't have to go all the way to the max, that I can get that huge camera upgrade in, the, in like, the, the mid-size pro, that's, that's what I'm going to go for. Yep. Yep. I think for me, I'm looking to get a 13 pro in that Sierra blue, whatever it's called. It, it yep. looks so good Same. to me. Um, we should very quickly mention, uh, again, an hour and a half more battery life than the 12 pro two and a half hours, more battery life than the 12 pro max, uh, longest ever on an iPhone or so they claim, uh, starting at a thousand dollars for the 12 pro $1,100 for the pro max up to a thousand dollars off with trade in, in certain cases, they give a, or they have a one terabyte storage option, which is not for me, but I do think it's interesting. Uh, pre-order on Friday, which I've confirmed is at a reasonable hour. Thank you. Thank you so much that it's 8 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, which is the, as we all know, the one true time zone. And then it will be shipping on the 24th of September. Uh, additionally, the 12 Pro is retired. It is no longer available at this time. So that one terabyte option is important for the thing that you skipped over here, which is uh, the part where they trotted out uh, big time Hollywood directors to show how you could make, uh, you know, movie quality footage with these iPhones and how great it is that they're so small and you can put the camera anywhere and so on and so forth. Uh, and they also will now shoot ProRes, which is Apple's, is it uncompressed? It's very large. It's less compressed. <laughs> Let's say, I'm not sure if it's uncompressed, but anyway, it, it takes no, up more room. No, I don't think anything shoots uncompressed video of anything ever because it's so it's so massive, but ProRes, I believe, is lightly compressed. And, and the files are massive. Yeah, ProRes takes up a lot of room. And so they touted, they said, what did they say, faster file system, I think they said in the thing. 
Which they, I'm assuming what they really mean is a faster file I.O., as in whatever the system-on-a-chip connection it has to the flash storage now has higher bandwidth, lower latency, basically to be able to keep up with recording ProRes. It, did they say it could do 120, 4K 120 frames per second ProRes? I forget. No, maybe it was 4K 60. No, it says here ProRes video recording up to 4K 30. All right. But anyway, the point is that's a huge amount of data. And so they need to make sure you can actually write that data to the storage fast enough. And also, if you're going to be, you know, recording in that format, now suddenly the one terabyte phone starts to make some sense. With the caveat that, okay, you've got a one terabyte phone and you're able to record ProRes. And I don't know what the math is of like how many minutes of ProRes equals how many gigabytes of video, but you could fill that phone pretty easily and, you know, shooting a movie or whatever. How are you supposed to get that one terabyte of video off of that phone? <laughs> Through the lightning connector at USB 2.0 speeds? Because I didn't see anything in the presentation that told me it would be fast. There's some faster connections. Not USB-C. There's not Thunderbolt. I guess you could use Wi-Fi. Maybe 5G is your fastest option to get that data Hey, off Casey, that how phone. good is uh, image capture these days? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I, haven't, I, I only use image capture for deletion on certain stuff. I use photos to import. It's a mess. Uh, so but no, would, I, I would you, AirDrop be the fastest? That's exactly what I was saying. Well, I think is, is 5G faster than Wi-Fi 6? Uh, like if you're by a millimeter wave station thing? <laughs> well, but AirDrop doesn't use... Uh, Wi-Fi in infrastructure mode doesn't it make a temporary peer-to-peer connection? So it like at at the distances the AirDrop would be working, it's probably very fast. Like it probably maxes out whatever yeah. that version but of Wi-Fi then, is. But then again, like how long does it take to AirDrop? Well, like you know, eight hundred gigs worth of video. Like will it give up in the middle? It's <laughs> yeah. I, what I'm saying yeah. is that you know, so they they brought out these big name Hollywood directors to show that you know this phone is great and you can do all this stuff with focus and we can make these little fun scenes or whatever. I don't whatever. It's just a promotional thing. Uh, but that said. People have made entire feature films only with iPhones many years ago. I think Steven Soderbergh did an entire movie, which I watched, uh, and it was fine. And you would never have known the entire movie was made with an iPhone if someone, if someone hadn't told you that conceit. Now, it's not going to, you know, it was this was many years ago, so it didn't, didn't look close to as good as this footage they're showing here. But it was fine for like an indie movie that you're watching, right? So the idea that the iPhone is good enough to shoot a movie with is true. It's been done, right? Uh... But I'm not sure that their demonstration of saying, like, like, now finally with these new features in the iPhone 13 Pro, the ability to record ProRes and, you know, the various video effects, this somehow changes the equation for using an iPhone to shoot movies. It's it's exactly as possible as it has always been, and this does not change the game. And this phone, you know, it's great. iPhones have always been great for shooting video, and it continues to be. But it's not, it is not a better professional tool. I think the biggest weakness that it has is how do you get, you know, what's the IO, right? How do you, you know, it's got a terabyte, you know, it, it can record ProRes, but not at the maximum resolution and speed that it can shoot the other things. It's got a lot of storage, but you can't get the data on and off of it. So I, this, this promotion I felt like was slightly misguided and maybe misrepresenting is like now suddenly the iPhone is an amazing professional tool. It's as good as it's ever been. It's a great phone for recording video, but it doesn't it doesn't make it if you weren't previously considering an iPhone for shooting your movie or whatever, nothing about this phone should make you change your mind. Nevertheless, I'm excited. I really honestly am. Oh yeah, and don't and don't shoot your home movies in ProRes, please. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't want that or need it. So Quinn Nelson's in the chat and 
he's saying that the one terabyte phone, <laughs> so a terabyte, uh, if you're shooting 4K, 4K 30 uh, ProRes, only holds about four hours of video in a terabyte. Yeah. Good <laughs> grief. And then how long will it take you to get that off? Yeah. So don't, don't, days. Yeah, don't shoot ProRes. Don't shoot your kids. You honestly, you probably like, depending on what you want, aesthetically speaking, I, uh, my suggestion would be that higher frame rates will serve you better. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, pick a, pick a reasonable Kodak and go up to at least 60 frames per second and see how that goes for you. Yeah, there's even there's a funny little note here on the in the spec page that um, so ProRes video recording up to 4K 30, uh, but if you buy the smallest phone, the 128 gig, they won't even let you shoot 4K 30. <laughs> They'll only let you shoot 1080p. <laughs> that 30 frames yeah. in, in ProRes, oh, like in other gosh. formats, you can do whatever you want, but but in ProRes because it's so big. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, like these, we're talking about this now, right? But fast forward five, ten years. Uh, kind of like we've done with audio, the hardware will eventually catch up to both the standards that we use for media and human perception, right? That happened a little while ago with audio where there's no longer any demand for, we've talked about some past shows, for higher res audio formats outside of very narrow interest groups, let's say. Um, but John, I can hear the copper-coated <laughs> Ethernet cable differences in my DAC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like it, you know, it, it, I'm not. I'm not even saying that we've we have the current correct compromise in terms of bit rates of the audio that we listen to because we probably don't, and Bluetooth could be better, and so on and so forth. But we've definitely passed the point where you know we definitely have diminishing returns, right? Video, that's not true. Video, uh, you know, televisions just recently made the switch to 4K. It's plausible that televisions, just to try to sell more of them, will make a switch to 8K in the future, especially as screens get cheaper at larger sizes. 8K might come worthwhile. Um, as those standards advance, so too are all our technology advance. Right now, our phones can't do 120 frames per second 4K ProRes, right? Uh, but eventually, not even a very infinite timeline, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, the video will probably taper off because within the normal household, even if your entire wall is a screen, 16K is probably plenty for that, right? And eventually your smartphone, assuming Moore's Law keeps going for just a little bit longer, Moore's Law, your smartphone will be able to shoot 16K, 240 frames per second HDR, you know, with depth data captured or whatever. After that happens and storage keeps going up and up, like you get to a point where like audio, it's like, oh, you know, I wish I had a bigger phone so I could have more music. Most people don't think that because these phones are so huge and most people don't have 700,000 song collections, right? Uh, we'll get there with video someday, but today is not that day. Today is the day when Apple won't even let you shoot Pro is at high frame rate because the storage isn't enough, right? So, but so, but I don't want people to think this is going to be an eternal chase. Uh, you know, our our visual system is only so good. There's only so much we can discern, kind of like retina screens where, you know, 3X retina, I can't wait until we have 20X retina. No, that's pointless. It's useless. We can't see it, right? We've, we've, we've got the pixels almost small enough, I think. And now it's just a matter of making them use less power, making them be brighter and darker with, you know, true blacks and all that other stuff. But no one is still chasing like, I would like a 7,000 DPI screen. It's pointless. Like, and not just for old people like us, but children like anybody nobody's human the human visual system is not that good so the the people who are alive today i think will eventually live to see audio and video uh you know standards and limits and performance sort of catch up to what humans find useful and then we will shift that the, the our technology efforts to other things maybe we'll shift to ar vr or something like that or whatever but that's what i thought about looking at this of like the phone can shoot ProRes that like 
you know, right now you're, what is it? Red is that the camera company that makes those really expensive cameras? Yep, yep. And there's like the the Ari Alexa or whatever. You have these cameras that cost as much as a car, and they can do amazing things. Then you have the phones, which can do amazing things for a phone, but still not the same. And eventually, not that those things will converge, but eventually the difference between them won't be uh, that one of them can capture at higher resolution or higher frame rate. The difference will be like you know more about the quality of what it captures, maybe, uh, and much less about uh, you know the the specs, the the frame rate and the size of the pixels. So before we kind of wrap, I, I was thinking about the presentation and it was good. Like I, I don't think any about anything about it was particularly remarkable to me. I don't think any of the products released have me over the moon, which is fine. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it occurred to me, I, I don't know if anyone else feels this way, and I, I wonder if you guys feel this way. It definitely felt like an S year to me. It felt like, yeah, we've spec bumped everything. It, it's better. It's definitely better. But I don't think that there was anything revolutionary, which is fine. That's okay. It doesn't have to be revolutionary every year. But I was a little surprised, and I almost feel like if I were if I were in charge of naming these things, not necessarily because I'm trying to sell them, but because I'm trying to accurately represent what they are, I feel like this is definitely a 12 Pro S or what have you, which is a terrible name if I'm honest. But you know what I mean? Like it's it's not, I don't feel like these are dramatically different phones than what we got last year, I, particularly in the Pro line. It's a spec bump, which is fine. I'm not complaining, but I don't know. It's just nothing, nothing about the presentation was... Except, I guess the i uh, the iPad Mini. Come to think of it, but other than that, nothing yeah. about the, uh, nothing about the presentation other than the iPad Mini was particularly like knock your socks off. Do you guys have that feeling as well? Let's start with Marco, or am I just being a curmudgeon? No, I was, I was even just thinking as like as you were starting the segment, like what would I say is like is the the biggest jump? And I would say it's you know the cameras and the phones, but the phones taken as a whole. I think you're right. It is kind of you know, quote an S year, which is I, I know it's that's kind of a term that people throw around, you know, in a derogatory manner. But, um, but I, I think it's 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 kind of a, a fairly low S year even. Like normally, what, what an S year typically means is the outside of the phone looks the same, but it gets major upgrades on the inside. That's usually what what that mm-hmm. what happens there. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I don't even know if this got major upgrades on the inside necessarily. I mean, we'll see. Like, maybe the screens are amazing, you know, because we, we can't, you can't tell with a high frame rate screen how much that's going to affect you by, by watching a video presentation about it. Like, that's just never going to, you're not, you're not going to know how it looks and feels in real life. So it's possible once we get these phones that the screens really are incredible. Um, but again, you're only going to get that difference on the um, on the pro line. If you're not looking to buy a pro phone, I think it's actually a, a pretty small year for you. Like if you're looking at the mini or the the twelve or the thirteen regular, um, I think that's it, it's not a big deal. I think for those phones. Um, and if I was not going to probably jump to the pro, I wouldn't be that excited about this upgrade from the twelve mini to the thirteen mini. Um, but that being said. Again, most people don't buy phones every year. Only jerks like us do. So, and only two of us even, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I think, um, you know, for, for most people, you know, you hear the same thing from all the tech podcasts. Well, certain things were a small upgrade this year, but it's a big upgrade from the phone you have that's two or three or four years old. So, you know, that's, and that's how most people buy phones. So, it makes sense that, you know, this isn't, it's not that big of a deal when it's not like a big jump year. But overall, this isn't a big jump year, I think, for the phone 
or the watch. The watch even seems smaller, you know, like it, in as like, you know, how much it matters. The watch seems like a, an even more minor upgrade update than uh, than mm-hmm. the phone. Uh, but you know, and part of this might be, you know, Apple's putting on a good face, but they're coming out of a global pandemic that really disrupted everybody's work. And they're in the middle of a severe like chip and part shortage in the industry. Um, like I think the reason why they bought so many A15s, I, I actually disagree with John. I don't think it's because they're putting the A15 into a bunch of things. I think it's related to the chip shortage, and they just had to like place a big order to, you know, you know handle that or navigate that in, in a responsible way. But you know, Apple's trying to pretend like all this stuff isn't going on and, and trying to keep up the same product release cycle that they're like. Most companies, I think, would would possibly not be able to release a phone at the same time this year as they do every other year because things are so disrupted in the supply chain and everything else. But Apple Apple did. But maybe they had to cut some stuff to, you know, because they couldn't get it done in time through all the stuff we've been going through. So I think that there that could be part of why this is kind of a minor year. Um and for everyone else out there like who is, you know, kind of like meh about a lot of this stuff, well, good for you. If you're if none of this stuff is really that important to you, you can save some money this year and not buy it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, but, I have to. No, no. I have to respectfully disagree with you. If you really are disappointed with the offerings this year, but you really want to have a similarly sized hole in your pocket, let me direct you first to stjude.org/atp <laughs> and subsequent to that, yep. atp.fm/join. Both of which would help you feel better and 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 put that hole in your pocket that you so desperately yearn for. Agreed. And yeah, use create a hole in your pocket to reduce the hole in Casey's pocket. Um, <laughs> but you know, so it, like overall, like this, it looks like it's a pretty minor year. But these are also really mature and kind of expensive product lines. And so, you know, in the same way that most Mac upgrades year to year are not that big, like you know, whatever MacBook Pro they release one year, when you look at the one they released the year after. It's usually not that different. It's you know maybe five or ten percent faster and has a couple of little like you know nip and tuck kind of upgrades here and there. Like oh we made this thing a little bit better. Maybe like the speakers or the microphone are a little bit better or something like that. Like it's that kind of upgrade you know for most Macs. iPads have now gotten similarly you know with the exception of like the Mini. But like you know you look at the high end iPads. The iPad Pro has not changed that much in four years <laughs> it's been you know i think we're, we're reaching maturity points on these products and they're getting higher in price over time and so it's natural to have longer upgrade cycles for pretty much everybody uh, and so when we have one of these years where it's not that impressive uh overall I, like there are certain things about this that are very impressive but like the, the product as a whole it's not like a massive like oh my god everyone has to go out and upgrade right now but i think that's okay and i think it's inevitable so overall, to answer you, the actual question you asked, uh, I think the iPad mini is the most exciting upgrade compared to what it's replacing, which is funny because it's probably, of all the products they announced today, probably the least used one. <laughs> like It's probably the one that the fewest <laughs> people buy out of all these. Um, but the I think the camera system on the Pro phones in particular is probably the coolest and and most impactful upgrade to the most people. So that, I think, again, even though it's not that big of a deal, uh, like in other specs of the, the way things were upgraded or not, not upgraded, I think that new camera system is going to be quite something. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yep, John? 
And I already defended the SEO stuff before, basically saying like, yeah, it's it's the same case on the outside, but like literally everything inside it is different. Totally different yeah, system on yeah. a chip that's better in all ways. Granted, not by a lot, but still better. A bigger battery, a totally different camera. I mean, maybe the Taptic engine is the same, right? But like that's usually why the SEOs get a bad rap because people can just see what's on the outside and what's on the inside. Like I wouldn't characterize it as a spec bump. A spec bump would be a faster A14 or more RAM on an A14. This is just all new inside and it's better in all respects, right? Uh, the only thing that gives me pause this year in terms of an S year is what I would normally want out of an S year is everything like that the non S year was, but everything is better, right? So it's a new system on a chip that's better. It's a new camera that's better, right? Uh, there's more battery life. It has a bigger battery, right? Every Everything about it is like, you know, 5G is a good example. It was the first 5G phone last year. This year we can still have 5G, but be less battery hungry and less heat, you know, because we have better 5G modems this year. Like, that's what you want out of an S. And the one thing that is disappointing from an S year perspective this year is, ironically enough, the camera, simply because it's so much physically bigger. And that doesn't strike me as an S year thing. An S year thing would be camera stays the same size and gets better, or camera actually shrinks and becomes slimmer or becomes flush and gets better. It's like, oh, last year we had to have such a big camera bump for this quality camera. Well, this year we made the bump smaller and the camera is a little bit better too. They didn't do that. They went the opposite direction, which is maximum increase in camera. But it's just, I mean, again, I haven't seen one of these in person. I don't know what it's going to be like with the cases, but it just looks, it looks a little bit awkward to me. And that is not something that I associate with an S year. I associate an S year with a refinement of all the features that we had last year, it's like what I would expect is the non-S year to have a gargantuan camera and the S year finally we figured out how to make that camera not quite as gargantuan while still giving you some quality improvement. And it seems like they went the other way, whereas the uh, the 12 Pro camera is better than the predecessor, but not, I feel like this is a bigger leap camera-wise, right? So I think like, the camera is like out of step with the S stuff. This is all predicated on my notion that the notch is going to, that the, not the notch, that the, uh, the camera bump is actually going to be big enough to be bothersome. Maybe I'm totally wrong about that and a few millimeters doesn't make a difference. And when we get these phones in physical hands, we'll find out. But that's the only thing that gives me pause. But other than that, I generally like the, the S years. Like I'm, the cycle I'm on now is I get like the first of the new form factor, right? So I got the first flat sided phone and I'm skipping this year. Next year, presumably I'll get the first of whatever the next design is. And in some ways, like, it's exciting. You're going to get the first of the new thing. But in other ways, I feel like, oh, but this is going to be the one with, like, the most compromises of this design, right? It's like getting the iPhone 10, right? It's the first one with Face ID and everything. Mm-hmm. But they're going to refine that design and improve a lot about it in the subsequent generations. The first flat-sided one has the 5G modem that kills your battery, right? And maybe it'll be better in the next generation. Um, so we'll see. Like, but, but this year, I'm kind of – I'm actually kind of glad that I don't – again i'm i'm I'm, i have have camera phobia i'm afraid of a camera that's that big and that (laughs) awkward on the thing i love i will love the pictures that it takes and my wife is going to get this this phone so i will have it in the house and be able to take pictures with it and i'll be back into that mode that i'm so used to which is essentially every other year if we're somewhere and i want to take a picture i almost feel like i need to ask my wife to borrow her phone because why don't i use the best camera that we have with us we both have our iphones I could take it on mine, but mine is, oh, it's a year old now, and your camera will take it better. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm kind of glad that my camera bump is smaller and that my phone with a case on it sits flat on the table. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Mac Weldon, and Linode. And thank you to our members who support us directly. You can join at atp.fm slash join. We will talk to you next week. 
Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Cause it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Cause it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. So that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, U-S-A, Syracuse, it's accidental. So in previous years, we have, I came up with the idea a couple of years back of doing like an exit interview of the outgoing phone right before it's replaced. So we should have done it last week. And frankly, we just forgot. And I, <laughs> I, I, I remembered like during the edit of the show, like the next morning, I'm like, ah, oh, crap, we forgot to do the exit interview for the iPhone 12. So we decided to shove it here in the after show. <laughs> so we're going to give the iPhone 12 its exit interview after we've already hired its replacement, which is kind of <laughs> unfair in certain certain ways. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, how, how are we feeling about our outbound iPhone 12s? Uh, you know, I think I covered this accidentally uh, a, a little bit last episode, and in some this episode. I really like my 12 Pro. I think it's been a great phone. I love the midnight blue. I think it's a great look. Um, going caseless on it, as has been covered many, many times, was a complete mistake, and I deeply regret it. I do have Apple Care Plus on it, but still, I, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I don't mind the fingerprinty sides that you had mentioned earlier this episode. Um, they, they are fingerprinty. I'm not denying that, but it, it's never really bothered me like it seems to have bothered you. Uh, the cameras are great. The screen I maintain, and again, this is probably user error, at least in part, but the the screen has been scratched smithereens. I feel like I've been saying this the last couple of years, and hey, look what the common denominator is. Hi. Uh, but uh, the screen, I would wish, was not so scratchy, uh, and I've wished the back was a little more durable. But by and large, it's a really great phone. It doesn't feel slow to me at this point. Um, I, I personally don't have a problem with Face ID. That's probably because I am an Apple Watch user. So even if I have a mask on, the watch, you know, 80%, 80 to 90% of the time will unlock for me. Um, I, I really do like this phone quite a lot. The notch is obviously old news. Hey, getting smaller is great, but I, I, don't, ha- I don't find that the notch is bothersome at this point. I don't know. I, I I never really experienced 5G because I'm an I'm on an old enough AT&T plan that they're jerks and won't give it to me, which is part of the reason why I think I might be switching to Verizon soon. But that's that's a discussion for another night. Uh, I, I like this phone a lot. It's one of my favorites. I love the flat sides, even though the um, 11 was arguably a little a little more comfortable in hand aesthetically. It's I freaking love the look of these flat sides, and so. Yeah, I mean, I wish it was USB-C, just like I wish the 13 was USB-C, just for consistency's sake. But by and large, I really, really, really like this phone. I really think it's a great phone. Yeah, I I largely feel the same. Um, I I don't have a lot of problems with my uh, 12 mini. Uh, the ones I do have, I think, are inherent to the mini size. You know, I I, I really wish I had the telephoto camera. In retrospect, like I I do I do miss that. It's not like an absolute deal killer, but I do miss it. Uh, and I also wish the battery life was better. 
Um, I have improved the battery life a little bit by disabling 5G by some recommendations from people. Um, it has helped a little bit, not a ton. I don't, I don't know how much of a benefit it really honestly has. It could just be, you know, placebo or coincidence. Um, so ultimately what I want for my next phone is a, a more reach on the camera system and a bigger battery. And and that's why I think I'm going pro this year um, because I'm, I'll be getting that. But otherwise I, I actually have not had problems with the screen scratching. I have dropped it a couple times on concrete and then has scratched the aluminum edge uh, on the corners here and there. Um, but otherwise, and that's, you know, that's my fault, obviously. Uh, otherwise it has held up uh, very well. I haven't had any, any of like, you know, the deep screen scratching problems that other people have had sometimes. Uh, and, you know, feature wise, it's fast and, you know, it, it's fine. I, like if you bought an iPhone 12 or 12 mini last year and you don't really want to upgrade, I don't think you're missing much by not upgrading. I think the 12 mini and the 12 are still, and, and the 12 pro, you know, I, I think those are still great phones by today's standards and they're going to continue to be great for a while. Um, so if you, you know, if you dropped a whole bunch of money on one last year, I don't think you need to upgrade. I really don't. I, I think it's, upgrading here is only for jerks like us who just want the latest and greatest all the time and, and are willing to set money on fire. Um, but otherwise, like, excuse me, it's for <laughs> my work. Yeah, right. That, that's what we all say. All, you know, you notice how all podcasters say, I have to get this new thing so I can talk about it on the show. And then how, how much do we talk about it? Like five minutes? Like it's not, it's, we don't have to get it. We get it. It's a wonderful excuse we all use to get the new shiny thing. None of us have to get it for our work. That's never a thing that any of us have to, because we talk about stuff we don't have all the time. So, like, obviously, we don't need to get these things for our work. <laughs> I needed to get the Mac Pro for my work. I think we can all agree on that. You needed to get the Mac Pro for, like, karmic justice. I, we t- I talked about it for more than five minutes. I talked about oh, it for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's, yeah. Th- but, like, but you, you could have, and we have and did, talk about it without buying it, or before you bought it, like... You know, it's we don't need to buy these things to talk about them. We buy them because we like to and we can, and that's our joy in life. Other people buy expensive sweaters. We buy phones every year. Like that's just <laughs> that's what we do. People buy expensive sweaters. I thought you were gonna say watches. It was right there, but <laughs> I guess sweaters too. Yeah, yeah. People buy people spend their, spend slash waste their money on all sorts of garbage. So you know, we we do it on phones every year. That's what we do. And if you don't like it, well, you know, I'm sorry. So the uh, 12 Pro that I've got, I mean, I've already talked about it. I like, I like that it has a way better camera than my two-year-old phone. What was, what did I replace it with? The uh, 10s, I guess. Yeah, 10s. I uh, this is the phone that got me off the pouch. I do not use a pouch anymore. I have a pouch that fits this, and I was using it. Well, this plus COVID, I think, really, because I wasn't leaving the house ever, and I only used the pouch when I left the house. And eventually, the pouch like just found its way like into deep storage. And then I would leave the house and not have the pouch and just I'm, I'm off the pouch. So this is not, I just put it directly in my pocket, you know, screen side facing my body as, as you do. Uh, and it's been fine. And I, I understand the scratchiness. And I, I believe that the screen probably shows, I'm going to say this, the, the 12 Pro screen shows light scratches maybe more than some previous phones. But I personally don't have anything discernible except for maybe one super light, no, I can't even see it anymore. Maybe it was not a really scratch. Maybe it was just some schmutz or something. But like my thing is pretty pristine. Now, obviously, I take I'm very careful with my phone or whatever. But this is no pouch. I'm just putting it in pockets. And if there's any grit in those pockets, right? So I don't know what Casey's doing other than just dropping his phone constantly and putting in, in bags with sand and shaking it up. Um, <laughs> How'd you know? 
So I'm willing to believe that this surface like essentially scratches more easily, but I think the kinds of scratches we're talking about here are essentially cosmetic and you can mostly only see them when the screen is off or black and that there's not that they're not the type of thing that you would feel with your finger or that it constitute actual damage. I, so I don't I'm not I what I can say is for me whatever trade-off Apple has been making with this phone, which I have dropped onto the floor multiple times. Granted it's been a wooden floor and sometimes a carpeted floor, but I have dropped it. So so whatever compromise they made in terms of scratchability versus breakability or whatever, I'm happy with the compromise of this phone. One thing I'm not happy and I'm happy with the flat sides. But one thing I'm not happy with was their move to cases that cover the bottom lip because I think that's just a terrible idea in a phone that you swipe up from the bottom to unlock so i had to go on that little hunt that we talked about earlier in the year to find a non-apple case non-apple case that i liked that had the lip on the bottom which probably means that you know next year when i get my new phone again i'm gonna have to go on that same saga for the iphone 14 because apple will continue to sell cases that don't have the, the thing open on the bottom uh, having owned this phone for about a year with the opening on the bottom, it's been fine. Nothing's wrong with it. It's not like the bottom gets damaged or whatever, and I like it so much better than I had the Apple Silicon case that had the lip. I like it so much better swiping up from the bottom with no lip there. Um, battery life has been fine. Again, I don't really leave the house that much, but it's it's a big it's a big step up from the 10s. Um, so overall, this is one of one of my favorite phones that I've had. Like I I, I have a. The, the, the previous phone that I think that I had as much affection for is this one is the 7. Because uh, I felt like the 7 was kind of the pinnacle of that design, the kind of lozenge-shaped thing, the last Touch ID phone. The 7 was just really perfected that form. And this is the first iteration of this flat-sided thing, and I think it did pretty well with the, you know, setting aside those caveats. So I've been happy with it. I think it's great. And like I said, I'm kind of glad that I don't have to have the stress over, oh, do I, I desperately want the... the the 13 pro camera but i'm afraid of the size of the bump and like i, I don't have any of that stress because i'm just going to stick with my 12 pro and let my wife get that camera and she doesn't care about the bump because well what i have to worry about for her is she doesn't care about the bump because she constantly uses a battery case because her phone is just a uh, pokemon go console and pokemon go <laughs> destroys your battery so her phone is useless without a giant battery case Ah, but the 13 Pro does not have a giant battery case from Apple. It has that stupid stick-on thing, which has not enough battery capacity to withstand the Pokemoning that she will do. <laughs> so I think she's probably going to have to end up buying a third-party iPhone 13 Pro battery case, which will make her phone even more gargantuan. And maybe uh, once you have that thing on it, the size of the camera bump is the least of your concerns because it's just <laughs> a gigantic heavy bar of soap. So she'll probably be fine with it and like it, and I will steal it from her to take pictures with that really awesome camera system. But... I'm happy to wait for the 14 now.